0: We'll do it live. How's everybody? Welcome to Media Roots Radio, tenth anniversary, first ever live stream.
1: Welcome everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. This is a monumental episode here. Ten years Media Roots Radio has been on the air. I can't even believe it, Robbie.
0: It's pretty ridiculous. It feels like uh, it's time flies really fucking fast. I'll just say <laughs> yeah. that. Um it's I know it kind of
1: makes me just feel old.
0: Yeah, doing a podcast for 10 years um it's it, it does feel like an accomplishment. I'm proud of it. But at the same time, yeah, it is it is disturbing how uh, fast time flies and and how uh how much older I feel than I did 10 years ago. <laughs>
1: I know. <laughs> I know. At the same time, look at how much has happened both in the world and also just with our own political trajectories. Uh Quick, happy Halloween to everyone out there. It's October 30th. I hope everyone's having a good Halloween uh, preparation, and hopefully you have a good Halloween even with COVID. I don't really know what we're going to do with our child, which is kind of sad, but yeah, we're supposed to carve pumpkins tonight and all that shit, so it should be fun, but um, what are you going to do for Halloween, Robbie?
0: Absolutely fucking nothing. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. Um, I think the last time I went to a Halloween party, like I regretted it the moment I walked through the door. (laughs) So uh, it's actually, again, I'm not trying to say this because I'm like bragging about the fact that I'm like a social introvert, but like that is probably one of the things that bothers me the least about COVID and the pandemic is that I do not have to think of an excuse. I don't have any guilt about not attending social gatherings. So this feels kind of liberating to just not have to go anywhere and do anything i mean i'd love to see you guys halloween's not really a holiday I celebrate anyway so
1: yeah i know it's a good and bad thing i mean it, it definitely is it's a way for us to just kind of revert into our own like isolation which can be pretty detrimental i think in terms of mental health for people who are already living alone and stuff so for sure that's pretty yeah. problematic I mean we're lucky uh, that you know.
0: we have we have partners um yeah who don't live alone and Yeah. I mean, I think there's certain people who can handle social isolation fine, but there's other people who absolutely require it for their mental well-being, And I'm just not one of those people. So I think I'm lucky that way. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you live alone right now and, and you don't even eat, like I've heard from people who their families won't even see them right now because they're afraid, Mm -hmm. you know, they won't even want to see them with masks on or outside. So it's, it's quite a sad situation for certain people. Um,
1: we're social creatures, yeah. you know, and it's it's really tough. I hope everyone's hanging in there. Just a quick uh, point before we get going here. We are not doing the super chat option because YouTube restricted this channel from doing it. It said it was not active enough in the last month. So we're going to actually change that moving forward. We're going to try to do more live broadcasts and video broadcasts for Media Roots Radio hopefully eventually once a month, Robbie, and try to get this channel more active so then we can enact that Super Chat feature. But for now, just put your questions in the chat. We have a moderator who's going to aggregate them and give them to us. So please continue to comment, put questions out there. But yeah, for now, we cannot accept Super Chat donations. So um, please reroute your donations to our Patreon, patreon.com slash media roots radio, which is where this episode will be. Um, only available to patrons after today. The audio broadcast will be available to everyone, but the video broadcast will only be available to patrons on patreon.com slash media roots radio. So become a donor for as little as $5 a month to get access to that, as well as Robbie's epic Freemason untold history uh, (laughs) narratives and a lot of other stuff that we have planned for patrons that you can only get access to if you are a member.
0: Yeah. And, um, for people who are anticipating part four of the Masonic podcast and in, in late October, um, didn't quite, uh, meet the deadline that I was hoping to, but we will be posting a preview clip of part four in the next week. Um, and part four will be out in November. It's going to be another five hour installment. It's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> wow. And it's actually still not even done yet. So I pro- it actually will probably end up being five parts. Um, but I Amazing. think people, you know, people who either even know a, a little bit about Freemasons already or don't at all, I think we'll get something out of it because, um, I, I put a lot of work into it and, uh, and yeah, um, check it out. Uh, and I guess what else, what else have we done as a Patreon bonus episode recently? Other- so
1: I was just told that my audio is way lower than yours. Is there a way that, I mean, should I just put the the mic closer to my mouth? What do you guys think in the chat? Should I put up the gain Robbie?
0: No, just put a mic a little closer. Maybe okay. put it as close as mine is. Yeah.
1: Check, check.
0: I we mean, got our Twin Peaks deal, shirts. Yeah. yeah, we got we got matching shirts. This is our this is our Halloween costume for today. <laughs> um so uh, if you haven't uh checked out Twin Peaks season three, check that shit out. Yeah. Um,
1: um someone asked, Why aren't you dressing as Tulsi Gabbard for Halloween? We were going to dress as militarized. Uh, police and soldiers, National Guard soldiers with um, armed with vaccines <laughs> ready to deliver them. Um, but we decided to just go with the Twin Peaks paraphernalia instead. So maybe next year, Operation once we're in a Warp full-fledged state. police state, <laughs>
0: military. Op- yeah. Operation Warp Speed, couple's costume. <laughs> um, <laughs> should, we, uh, should we take a couple of questions before we, we get into it? We already got a couple of them. What do you
1: think? Yeah. And we're we're definitely going to get into the ones that I see already about, you know, what have our favorite episodes been? Um, Talking about the Hunter Biden links. We're also going to discuss that and also who we're voting for and why and what we think about the lesser of two evils argument. So we're going to get into all of that later. That's all I see now. But Robbie, just to start this off, if you can collect some questions while I'm just saying something else is, you know, it's amazing to see how many people have podcasts today. It's like everyone has a fucking podcast and there's an inundation of podcasts, right? It's a sea that you can wade through. And we are very honored that people have chosen media roots radio to listen to. I know that you have a plethora of podcasts out there to choose from. Um, And the thing is, it's just really crazy that we've been doing this for 10 years because when we started this, no one was really doing podcasts, at least in like the alternative media circuit, other than maybe like Alex Jones, if you could even count that radio show as a podcast, you know, it was like before even, I think even before like the Joe Rogan show and stuff. So we've been doing this for a long time. I don't even know really why we started doing Media Roots Radio or how that even got, came to be. I think we just wanted to use it as like a catharsis, um, like an outlet for our catharsis and to vent about all the shit that we were experiencing. But it's just strange because that's like around the time that I moved to DC quickly after we started this and we just kept going despite RT and despite all that. And it's just been a really fascinating journey. And you can hear how we've changed and everything that we experienced together through the last 10 years. People have told us that they've listened to episodes 10 years ago and they appreciate that we've stayed true to ourselves, And when we have changed, we've explained those changes and we've been accountable to ourselves about if we felt we were wrong and, you know, why we've become the people that we are today.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think from what I remember when we started Media Roots Radio, it was mostly just an outlet for our rage and frustration at the time um, that you know when obama first got into office there was very very few people from the left actually criticizing him and pushing back on him and i think we had we i remember when we would get together we just had so much to talk about in regards to our frustration about that situation um that i think we just were like why don't we record this next time we do this and see if we <laughs> see if we could turn this into something releasable and that's kind of how it evolved and i mean we also did start this like as a radio show too. I mean, people don't realize the reason we were called media roots radio is because we were on shortwave. I mean, it was even before like iTunes and those things were picking up our podcast. We were broadcast on a shortwave radio station. Um, and, uh, and that's not happening anymore. That, that kind of ended rather quickly, but, uh, but yeah, that's sort of how we started. So um, 10 fucking years, it's pretty crazy. Um, it feels great. And, you know, sometimes I'll go back and listen to our older episodes and sometimes I will cringe at myself and some of the things I said. Yeah. But I think we have held ourselves accountable. We explain why, you know, we've shifted our views on some things. Um, but it's interesting to me where sometimes people go back and listen and be like, wow, you, you supported Ron Paul or you did this. And I'm like, yeah, you know, here's why. And, and here's why I still like stand by, you know, why I supported mm-hmm. him at the time. And um, so... Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's fantastic, Abby. Um, thanks, thanks for doing it with me for ten years.
1: It's been great, Robbie. It's an honor. And before I get too sappy here, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our early like investigative work together that we did before I went to RT and before you made the epic very heavy agenda series, which was the investigation into the Livermore Lab, yep. uh, the nuclear, you know, the nuclear situation there. Growing up in Pleasanton, we found out some rather problematic things, really disturbing things about, you know, cancer rates in the adjacent city, Livermore, to us. And um, it was just really fun to do together. People should check that out. I, I, we completely stand by that. Um, and also speaking of the Obama era, you know, Occup- before Occupy, before we were involved in that, we went out in the streets of Oakland and we did man on the streets about why people supported Obama. You know, we were, we were pretty wide eyed at that point, um, having, you know, our paradigms pretty blown open before the Obama administration. I don't think that we were, um, we, we understood exactly what he represented. So that's a really cool piece that people can go back and look at. So we have some fun kind of proto material um, back in the day that we worked on that I'm, I still stand by and I'm pretty proud of, but yeah, in terms of our political evolution, I cringe. I mean, you know, look at my affiliations back fucking 15 years ago. It's like all of these people in the periphery, a lot of them have become Donald Trump bootlickers, um, sycophantic right-wing dumbasses. So I, I'm excited that I'm still trying to maintain a critical thought and critical mind. And, um, some sort of semblance of media literacy here and also distrust in the two major political parties and the government as a whole. So it's pretty bizarre to see how other people have evolved, but again, taking accountability for what I got wrong, my associations and why I've changed. And it's all part of the journey. Like, you know, it's all part of what makes us who we are.
0: Yeah. I mean, I definitely have regrets about things that i did you know engaging in this scene politically i think less my people i affiliated with and just more my certainty and maybe some arrogance that i Mm -hmm. had about you know i know this or i know this or this like so like in regards to 9-11 and things like that because i feel like i'm in a position now where i know i feel like i know less than i did in terms of like my certainty and my arrogance surrounding it and I think that that's one regret I have is not taking a more responsible sort of investigative sort of detective approach to these subjects earlier on, instead of, of evolving to that point so much later. But I mean, um, I feel like when I started to get there is when I really, you know, put out documentaries. So I've, mm-hmm. I'm, I i am i did not I, I, there's nothing I've maybe put out that I would regret necessarily. Um, you know, maybe like some facts here and there about nine eleven that I dropped on earlier podcasts. I wish I could go back and, you know, sort of add an addendum and be like, actually, this is what this means or something. But I mean, you know, you make mistakes and you move on. And um, I still firmly believe that 9-11 was sketchy as fuck. And, you know, I stand by for the most part, pretty much almost everything we said about it. So it's not really, you know, it's not too big of a deal. But, you know, there is someone, I think, Abby, who um, he he sent us a special um, congratulatory message for our for our Ooh. ten year anniversary and uh, cool. I don't know if uh, should do you want me to play it now.
1: Yeah, um, I'm excited okay. to see who it is.
0: Yeah, let's check it out. Oh, it's Alex Jones. Oh my God! Let's see what he has to say. Abby, Robbie,
2: you guys are doing great
0: work. Whoa. Ten years, a
2: decade—that's amazing. I mean, who would have thought? Right? Looks like we made it. Uh, I've been hanging out with Joe Rogan a lot, you know, for a while there, he wasn't really returning my calls. I I went on the podcast for the nine 11 episode a year and a half ago. I went back on, we broke the internet. I was on there for 19 hours. We were doing shots of whiskey, tequila, adrenochrome, having a good time, bumping all kinds (laughs) of drugs, getting psychedelic, smoking weed, talking about the Illuminati, the new world order, you know, everything you name it. Anyways, Abby, Robbie, look, I just wanted to say congratulations on 10 years of Media Roots Radio. This is incredible (laughs) stuff. And the work that you're doing is really amazing, fighting the new world order just as hard as I am, without the chili, of course. Abby, let me tell you something. I I, got tear up a little bit. I get emotional thinking about our days at Bilderberg. What I want you to do is next time I want you to come down to Austin. We can go outside the Alamo draft house and bullhorn them when they're playing kick-ass too, which is basically cuties on steroids. They will be defeated. I don't mean to go off on a tangent here. You already know all this stuff, Robbie, Abby, you know it. You know about Podesta's kill room. You know about Comet Ping Pong. You know about the Instagram with the pedophile Greek God that he has in the statue there that he smuggles in his pants when he's coming back from Indonesia, playing ping pong with all those refugees. I just want you to keep up the amazing work. Remember this, Robbie. I've never actually met you, but I heard you uncover deep-state illegal activities like the anthrax attacks. Of course, I'm the godfather of the 9-11 Truth Movement. I started it. I am the grandfather movement, and you're like my – you are my grandchild, okay? You are the Uh grandchild of the anthrax truther movement, okay? Ask Hatfield, ask them all. Go down to Fort Detrick. Look at all the scum down there leaking all that stuff out there. It's disgusting, all that primordial ooze that's coming out of there. I also heard that you think my handler, Q – uh, I mean, Steve Pachanek is compromised. Let me Whoa. tell you something, Robbie. Let me assure you. I've actually talked to Q. There's a white hat Mossad, and Steve Whoa. is a good guy. I mean, he's chummy. We were up hanging out at Niagara Falls. We were hanging out with Mike Pence over at Mount Rushmore. <laughs> uh, we took a sound with JFK Jr. I mean, this is just amazing stuff, Robbie. This is I'm, I'm breaking here for you guys on Media Roots because I love you. I love you both. I have so much passion in my heart. I have fire. Um, I, I have Christ coming through me. It's usually, uh, sometimes I'm mistaken for a moving, movement, but I know it's divine. I know it's righteous. I am the shield of God. I am the angel of Nazareth.
0: <laughs> I think that you know, one sounds like it cut off. Maybe you had more to say there. Well, I don't know. Maybe you'll send us, maybe you had another one just to congratulate us with later. But wow, thank you, Alex. Uh, that was incredibly thoughtful. And um, yeah, wow, that's very sweet.
1: Can't wait to do shots of Adrenacomb with you, man. Thank you so much for that wonderful message. <laughs> we appreciate it so much. It was great. <laughs> I mean, I'll see you in Austin, dude.
0: Yeah, like, I mean, it's pretty weird though that he kind of let slip that Steve Pachenik was cute. I didn't, that was kind of an unexpected. Yeah,
1: that was, yeah. that was unexpected. Surprising. And the White Hat
0: Massad concept. I mean, I'll have to look into that. That's an interesting concept. You know, it's like a p- aspect of Mossad that's fighting the deep state. So, let's we'll look into. I'm that. surprised.
1: I'm surprised Alex Jones likes us still, considering considering how much he uh, he looks Donald Trump's boots and says he would die for him. So, that's great, man. I'm glad that you haven't written us off yet.
0: Yeah, thank you, Alex. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, man. <laughs> Ravi, should we talk really quickly about, you know, like go a little bit more into our ideology when we first started Media Roots Radio and how it's evolved? today because speaking just personally yeah i mean you mentioned ron paul i voted for ron paul in 2008 i didn't really understand the notion of uh imperialism as it relates to capitalism i feel like once i met mike uh seven years ago i still was kind of under the pretense that you know north korea was this totalitarian state that was you know committing all these human rights abuses and all this shit and like I feel like all of these things today, I understand a lot more. Like we need to, you know, understand like the systemic analysis of all these things and why North Korea is the way it is and why Russia is the way it is. And I just had like kind of superficial notions about global affairs, even though I considered myself, you know, staunchly anti-imperialist, staunchly anti-war. It was more of like, Just centered on the hatred of our own government and the fact that we were lied into war, you know, and having kind of been pilled on 9-11 and the war on terror in general just made me kind of have this blind hatred for the political establishment without understanding the globe. And so, fast forward ten years later, I I consider myself anti-capitalist and understanding that imperialism is a stage of capitalism, and um, and a lot more educated, you know. But again, it goes back to like learning these things, and I I'm proud of the trajectory because I wouldn't have wanted it any other way. And um, yeah, it's just really interesting. But yeah, the Ron Paul shit, of course, I didn't know the racism that that he held. I didn't understand the problems with libertarianism, which now I completely uh, can't relate to anymore. But back in the day, I, you know, I, I was under the impression that Ron Paul's whole thing where he was like simple rules that apply to everyone. And it's like, okay, well we understand that that actually can't apply to the ruling class and the political establishment. They will never follow the rules that, you know, the masses uh, have to adhere to. So, you know, it, libertarianism is just kind of a joke. Um, but, but again, like I, I get where I was 10 years ago. I get thinking that, um, the government was the root of all evil, you know, cause we were being lied to and the government was, was right in front of us doing the lying. So until you understand how these forces play out and, and almost use the government to, to, you know, the economy and, and markets and all this other stuff. So we just had a great interview with Peter Joseph talking about this and more and the weaponization of conspiracies, which we were a lot more conspiracy minded 10 years ago, a lot more absolute in the way that we declared things and thought things. And of course, that's my biggest regret as well. I I wasn't journalistic in my approach. I wasn't investigative in my approach. I was just a really pissed off activist who thought I knew fucking everything. And of course I didn't and I still don't. And the more that i learn the more i realize i don't know and i think that that's a safe position to take if you're honest about everything so yeah it's it's amazing um how do you feel about where you've evolved and where we started
0: i mean i definitely feel that you know having that that sort of strong skepticism of the us government and the war on terror um on the morning of nine eleven, I was already being pilled in the sense that I knew that something was not right in terms of the way that the media was covering it, rushing to blame the attacks on someone uh, without really any evidence. Um, even the way that the buildings fell uh, was strange to me on the day, and I feel that even though you know some of the conspiracy stuff that I later got into. I don't subscribe to those narratives wholeheartedly anymore. I think it really did a good thing to me psychologically, like initially to decouple me completely from like the propaganda cycle of the media after nine 11. Like it, it sort of jarred me out of that, um, out of that system really quickly. So I, I, and it wasn't cause I read anything like conspiratorial on the internet. It was just my reaction on the day of nine 11 And then later I checked out conspiracy stuff. Um, You know, I was already into, you know, I was already anti-war, you know, in general, but I wasn't like, it wasn't like a a primary issue of mine or a primary overriding force in my life. And I think that watching America's rush to war after 9-11, it just sort of automatically made me more anti-war, like lean into that position. Of course, Iraq, I mean, it was absurd by that point. I think that's when you really started to um, you know get more invested in like anti-empire stuff and I think in general just over time um, I've come to this place now where it's like even if we listen if I listen to episodes of us like four years ago we were way more invested in like electoral politics I mean I was personally um, I would you know put more hope in politicians or certain candidate political mm-hmm. candidates and now I'm at the point where, I feel that I can't. I almost can't do that anymore. Um, and I think that it's a. I, I just feel more free in a way psychologically from that. Not that I'm. I'm so disillusioned. I'm telling people not to vote or not to engage with the system, but just that I don't feel that pressure anymore. I don't feel the pressure to invest in a politician and tell people, "Hey, you should support this person because of X, Y, and Z." Because frankly, unless someone's been in office for like. 20 or 30 years like i i just feel like you have to have like a very solid track record and you know even when it comes to like the squad it's like yeah i love some of the things that Ilhan Omar said when she first got in or even some of the things AOC said but very quickly over time it's just like their actual you know politicking and their beliefs sort of come out and it's like yeah i can't i just cannot invest too much and i think um you know i guess my the place i'm in right now is i just feel that uh you know, it's easy to criticize, but it's also where I feel more comfortable being <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a critical, you know, place, looking at pretty much any politician, really. Um, but it's nice sometimes when someone like Justin Amash, you know, someone, yeah. I guess, is a self-labeled libertarian, says things where I'm like, wow, he's really somehow not falling for this, even though all these other quasi-libertarian people are. So I'll still, you know, be like, this is a great quote. I mean, even when Tulsi said, good things. I was saying, this is great. Um, but it's just, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm totally going off on a tangent, but I think, no, you're totally right. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to say is that I feel I've gone through many different little twists and turns of my, of my idea of like what political activism and engagement and journalism is. And now I feel that I'm very comfortable being in the place of if there's a conspiracy that's interesting to me, if there's a deep politics subject that's really interesting to me, um, I'll just really just deep dive on it and, you know, not necessarily um, take other people's investigations at face value. Like I will want to investigate it myself. So uh, that's that's where I feel like I am now. And I, I feel that, you know, even our some of our listeners probably appreciate that approach, you know, even like our Schrodinger Super Patriot episode. Um, and we are planning on doing a part two of that, by the way, for people who are <laughs> wondering, but that one, Um, You know, I think it's like sort of the culmination of everything that we've learned from doing this work and all the mistakes that we've made and learned from as well. So I feel that that um, is a really powerful example of what, you know, we're capable of when we put ourselves in that headspace. And that's sort of where I hope to do, you know, focus more energies in the future, not just on anthrax, but that style of uh, investigation.
1: Right. I think that when Michael Brooks died and we did that kind of emotional podcast honoring his work, and I kind of came out of that morning acknowledging that I want to just contribute what I feel like is missing instead of reacting to what I feel like is bad in terms of other media output. And so I, I that's pretty much what I have been doing largely with Empire Files for the past four years under Trump is that deeper rooted analysis in his militarism and debunking that notion that he's an anti-war candidate. Um, but yeah, I think that when we put our heads together, Robbie, we can do some really amazing work and you certainly have done some fascinating series on media roots radio alone that I have found just absolutely amazing. And I think people can agree that we've gotten a lot out of, um, and we can go over some of those, but I totally agree with you in terms of electoralism. I think that the fact that people put all of their faith in a system that is deeply, corrupt and unjust that we know ultimately needs to be overthrown i'm not for reform i'm for revolution i don't think that you can reform a system this far gone they've already set it up to fail in so many ways um, until we get something like rank choice voting you can't even you know you can't even really build up a, a party that's really for the working class or people of this country so really it's this cycle every four years where you're you're you know threaten basically a gun to your head to the left saying, if you don't buy in and support the democratic party, then you're going to be blamed if the next four years for whatever next proto fascist gets into office or corporate war party, if you buy into that and then they just, you know, cater to conservatives anyway. So I think that this notion of like political insurgency in terms of leftists is a total pipe dream. We live in a kleptocracy the fact that four or five people who are left leaning and they're not anti-imperialist maybe Elon Omar's closest to that but they're not anti-imperialist and the fact that we have four or five actual leftist progressives in terms of domestic policy in congress compared to the hundreds of right-wing or centrist people that's not going to get us anywhere right and now that we saw the democrats roll over and die and let amy coney barrett join the supreme court without putting up a fucking iota of a fight that really says it all, because even if we did win the White House, the Senate and Congress and we push some sort of modicum of progressive change like minimum wage laws or health care, the Supreme Court exists to as a last line of defense for the ruling class. They exist to strike down any legislation that they deem unconstitutional, which could be anything that could be a good progress in the eyes of people who are mobilizing. So. That's why we need to empower organizational efforts on the ground. We need to empower mobilizing the masses because even under the Nixon administration and a right-wing Supreme Court, that's when Roe v. Wade got passed, you know? So it's no longer about like putting our faith in these institutions. It's all designed to demoralize the masses and make you feel like voting is really the last, you know, the ultimate thing that we need to do to... Change anything, and, and as we know, the Democrats don't care about us. They won't fight for us. They have never done that. That's what they're designed to do. They are a ruling class party. They are a corporate war party. And Joe Biden is the perfect emblem of everything that's wrong about the Democratic Party. He was potentially the most right wing person in the Democratic primary field. He was the worst person that could have won because of his age and his mental capacities and faculties. And now you have this situation where because of the electoral college and all of the um, the shit wrong with our quote unquote democracy, that basically voting is symbolic in almost every state except 12 swing states. So I'm happy to say that I voted third party in California. I don't buy into the lesser of two evils. I maybe you know have a certain privilege of being in a state that that I don't need to worry about that because there's a locked-in voter block, and especially when I'm faced with someone that's absolutely reprehensible in every notion, especially when it comes to foreign policy, which is my passion, I, I don't feel any guilt. And in fact, Biden has premised his whole campaign on the repudiation of all of Bernie's policies. So not even in terms of foreign policy. I mean, we know Bernie's an imperialist too, but I'm talking about all of the things that the left wants in this country. He has campaigned on how he is not like that, how he won over the socialist wing of the party. And you have Obama reiterating and double down on that right now in Florida. So I think they've made it clear that they don't want our vote. And I think this whole notion that it all hinges on this small sect of the left who refuses to buy into this is super overblown when all they do is really they they've made clear that they don't want our votes, Robbie. They they campaign on catering to the right wing. So again, I think that Vote shaming has to go, and that means people who are in swing states, I absolutely understand if you are voting for Biden, I don't have to face that moral dilemma because I'm in California. I think Trump's an existential threat. I think he's horrific, and I think things could be a lot worse, potentially, if we see Trump have another term. But I, it's not our responsibility to convince people to vote for Biden. That's their responsibility. That They have a yeah. $6 billion political campaign, record-breaking numbers of finance that they've accumulated from Wall Street, et etc., to convince people to vote for Joe Biden. And guess what? Half the country doesn't vote. The largest voting block is non-voters. Why don't they get off their fucking asses and can convince those people what they're going to do for them? Instead of blaming everything on this small, tiny group of leftists who want more and who understand that it's not in the political arena, it's in the streets. That's how anything ever happens in this country. And that's how anything is ever going to change.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating because the Democrats have taken the exact opposite approach that the Republican Party has. I mean, we talked about how the GOP has this big tent approach, but in reality, what they've done is they've really like sort of weaponized the sort of alt-right Trump surrogate, like fringe people to their own benefit. Um, and And I'm just trying to imagine a scenario where the Democratic Party would let like a left insurgency create some kind of weaponized force for their own agenda. And I just can't see it because like, that's the part that, you know, all these Republicans who are pro Trump have deluded themselves into thinking they're anti-establishment, but you really have to wonder, you know, is the GOP just doing this to push their own longstanding agenda through, or are these people really not that anti-establishment? And I think that the real answer (laughs) is what I, the latter is that, you know, someone like Jack Posobiec, for example, being embraced by the Republican Party means that Jack Pesobic is just a partisan hack, a weaponized partisan hack. Same with like James O'Keefe. These people are not, you know, insurgent, like, har- like far right, uh, like ideological conservatives are just sort of weaponized weird Trump surrogates. Um, so there's no version of the Democratic Party I can see that would let in like anybody who actually espouses leftist views uh, to push their agenda because it's incompatible with their long-standing agendas. I mean, you, you could make the fake argument that one of the long-standing agendas of the Democrats is to push healthcare reform, but it's not really. I mean, it's it's like an illusion. It's kind of just a ruse. So, um, it is it is so bizarre, though, the difference between the Republican and Democratic Party right now and how they treat their sort of fringe uh, mm-hmm. members. Um, and
1: yeah, the big tent approach where Trump is inviting people like Mark Dice to the White House, absolutely, as opposed to tumble. Biden, literally rejecting all of Bernie's base, which are a lot of them are mainstream Democrats who just want health care.
0: And how is Bernie? That's the incredible thing about how much Bernie has been saying like positive things about Biden. Like Jordan brought this up on our podcast, but like Obama has done like one tenth the campaigning (laughs) for Biden that Bernie has. And it's like, I mean, it's kind of incredible. It's kind of sad. It's also a little bit pathetic or more than a little bit. And how do you feel about that? I mean, like when you see Bernie out there, um, stumping for Biden or even the things he tweets about Biden, like, how does that make you feel?
1: So Bernie was blamed in 2016, you know, yeah. you see Hillary still fucking blaming Bernie on interviews because <laughs> yeah. she's such an arrogant psychopath.
0: Well, apparently she was um, apparently so I think Obama too. She's still blaming oh, yeah. Obama yeah, for yeah, yeah, losing yeah, yeah, yeah. even while she oh, was
1: yeah. secretary of state. Oh yeah, dude. No, she's nuts. <laughs> Um, narcissist, textbook fucking narcissist. But I, so to a certain extent, I get why he, in the last gasp, is just like, okay, I'm going to do everything I can to not be blamed if Trump wins again. However, I do think there's another side to this, which I think he was trying to vie for a cabinet position, perhaps Labor Secretary, which we all know he's not going to get. I mean, good God, you have Biden actually saying he's going to insert his, insert the GOP. He was even. Floating the idea of putting a fucking Republican as VP on the ticket. He's actually made clear that Warren isn't going to be in his administration and she's, I mean, you cannot compare her on the same wavelength as Bernie. We know why she was put in the primary too. So all in all, it is sad, um, but I kind of get it. I feel like Bernie's just trying his best to try to get into the administration and try to push Biden left. But we all know that that's not going to happen from the top down.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it would be really hard for me to believe by by or Bernie would get a cabinet position, um, and it I guess it's just it's just so weird to think how much the Democrats, I mean the the pick of Harris for VP is actually somewhat surprising considering how many things they do to pander to conservatives or how many things they do to pander to people who are afraid of the left. I mean, like think back to Tim Kaine. Being picked for VP, right. p- anti-abortion—I mean, it's just—it's yep. just so off. again catering to conservatives. Yeah. yeah, who in their right mind, or any mind really, whatever, would have decided to vote for Hillary based on that? It's it just inconceivable to me that anyone would have been like, you know what? I was thinking of voting for Trump, but now that Hillary's picked Tim Kaine, I'm going to switch my vote. I mean, inconceivable. I did. <laughs> I I was super inspired by Tim Kaine. I was like, "Fuck yeah, dude!
1: Tim Kaine." I, it's like, "Who are you? Like, has anyone ever heard of this motherfucker?" Um, he was the most boring dipshit of all time. And but Robbie, he spoke Spanish. Tim <laughs> Kaine. Si se, si ¿Se puede? Uh, yeah, it's a joke, dude. And and it really is an insult because it's Hillary basically saying, "Oh, I know. I'm. It's too much that I'm a woman. So here's the most generic ass." Dolt, Tim Kaine, anti-choice just to appease whatever the fuck the, you know, whoever's out there just being like, oh, I don't want two women or I don't want a woman and a person of color. It's like, okay, here's just the generic ass white dude who has nothing going for him at all except moderate ass views.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just unbelievably bad choice. Uh, Just, yeah, and, and this is another thing. I mean, it's an obvious point, but like, do you know anyone even just like peripherally, not the people you know in your own personal life, but have you seen anyone legitimately enthusiastic or excited about Biden running for president?
1: Absolutely not. No, I mean, of course not.
0: And that's weird because like as hated as Hillary was, there was definite undeniable excitement from some people about her. I mean, yeah, symbolically. Yeah. And you don't see any of it for Biden. And I just, that's the part that's just really killing me here because I'm thinking, yeah, the polling maybe reflects that he's beating Trump in these different states. But like when it really comes down to the excitement level, I just don't see that pe- driving people to um, to actually go vote for Biden. I mean, well,
1: here, what's your take on this? The fact that everyone is claiming that Biden has it in the bag. I feel like I'm going through a repeat of 2016 he, because, yeah, yeah nationally, the polls may show Biden winning, but we know that national polls don't matter. If you look at the swing states, Robbie, mm-hmm. Latino support for Trump has gone up like eight points in just the last month in California. Black support of young black people in Florida has doubled. Um, he and, and I'm sorry, reverse that black support in California, I think, and Latino support in Florida. And Hillary actually won. Um, fucked up. Hillary actually lost in Florida, and she had more Latino support than Trump does right now. So there are a lot of concerning trends in these swing states, which is really all the election comes down to. There's a razor-thin margin, and we know that there's a lot of potentially embarrassed Trump voters who are not admitting to voting for Trump. But like you said, there's no enthusiasm for Biden. I've traveled quite a bit over the last year. I have not seen nearly any Biden signs or paraphernalia as opposed to Trump flags, MAGA hats to the fucking max, Ivanka 2024 flags, stores, uh, people who are very proud to be Trump supporters. And in fact, we know that he has millions of enthusiastic um, cult-like fans that will die for him. Uh, Name one person who has said (laughs) that they would put their body on the line for Joe Biden.
0: Yeah, I mean, the only people I see who are acting excited are, like, people from within, like, the neoliberal bubble who, like, I just think are totally phony. Like, I don't even believe they're legitimately excited. They're just, like, pretending to be. Um, It's—and let's think back to— —him being VP. I mean, why did Obama pick him to be VP? Right. Because he was the most conservative, right-leaning guy in the primary, and he was the safe choice. I mean— That should really say everything. It's like, this is the presidential candidate who's, who's up there to beat one of the most popular, like, you know, quote unquote, anti-establishment, like insurgent candidates who've ever had who's not even a politician. I I mean, I'm just going to say it right now. I would be expecting a Trump win and, you know, be surprised if he doesn't. But like, I think. As I stand right now, I think that it would be wise to expect a Trump win, even though the polling reflects the opposite. I mean, just like I, I think I was just talking to Eric um, Jackman about this, about you know, like the enthusiasm, like you saw. I mean, in Arizona, there's so much enthusiasm for Trump that is just non-existent for Biden. I mean, not even the the lawn signs, but just like MAGA hats, people with bumper stickers on their cars, flags on their trucks. I mean. It's just it really is kind of unprecedented. Um, And I just don't understand why people are so certain right now. I don't get it.
1: Yeah. And then they point to the fact that there's an unprecedented voter turnout. It's like we're in a fucking pandemic. Of course, people are voting early. Who's going to show up on Election Day and vote? Well, first of all, you have all this sabotage. You know, all these courts are already like ruling that they're not going to count the ballots and shit later than Election Day. So all of these people are coming out in droves to vote early and also just the warning of like and the egging on of militias to potentially be patrolling the polling places and all this stuff there's a lot of factors that go into why people are not going to vote on election day but i think primarily is the pandemic so i don't think that that means anything and i think we're not going to find out until election day itself but you know we've speculated probably maybe too wildly about what could happen if this is a disputed election and it's scary the potential, but I mean, I you know I just hope that it's a decisive enough victory that um, that there won't be some sort of disturbing flashpoint of violence.
0: I think, if I'm being realistic right now, even if the election is not contested in any way, there's going to be some kind of violent eruption regardless of who wins.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, we already saw all the left protest against. Trump winning, in, you know inauguration in D.C. I wouldn't describe those as violent necessarily, but they were pretty intense. Um, you know, they were pretty hardcore protests, and I think they'll actually be even bigger this time if Trump wins. On the yeah, other and side. someone
1: said in the chat that arresting people who speak out. Yeah, first of all, I I think that we maybe both both agree, and I don't know if you disagree that I think Trump is a bigger threat, um, and I do hope that Biden wins for the sake of having a level playing field to to fight um, the incoming administration however um, or, or not however but I mean uh, point being is that the political repression on protesters remember during Trump's nomination or whatever when these people were facing like decades in prison for simply being arrested rounded up um, for protesting him yeah. and it so I think the ratcheting up of political prosecution under the Trump administration could be absolutely shocking we we could see really shocking levels of persecution and of course if we see anything else like the continuation of the Black Lives Matter stuff where people are being thrown and black bagged and thrown in unmarked vans and again politically persecuted to a really dangerous levels especially with the egging on of these autonomous groups that are you know inspired by the rhetoric of their cult leader
0: yeah I mean I see the outcome of either presidency being a A very different flavor of danger um, not just to activists but to just the country at large and Mm -hmm. I think that's definitely a serious danger to consider under Trump is the crackdown on protesters on activists labeling groups like BLM or Antifa terrorist groups and actually trying to get them designated as terrorists those are all very serious things um, that I cannot see a Biden administration doing Um, However, I think one of the things that Jordan, uh, I think he brought it up in the interview we did with him and Jen, where I could definitely see an increase in the internet censorship and encouragement Mm -hmm. of more stifling of what we see on the internet. It'll be a different type of chilling effect and sort of encroachment on our civil rights and like civil liberties, Uh, a different flavor of it than we'll see under like Trump getting increasingly fascist so I I mean I don't know the only reason that I have like that I would want Biden to win at this point is because then people will go back to the traditional the president's bad his cabinet's bad the U.S. government's doing (laughs) bad things let's fight the U.S. government and who's in charge of it rather than this bizarre sort of illusory paradigm we're in now where it's Trump is against the deep state and Trump is Mm -hmm. somehow against the CIA. And well, if you, you know, if you're supporting narratives that go against Trump, then that means you're pro establishment. I mean, this whole weird mess, rhetorical Mm -hmm. mess that we've gotten ourselves in. I am very frustrated by that. So I want that to go away. Um, But I think the only positive silver lining I could see if Trump stays in office is I actually see him flailing and losing his edge now, another four years will empower him and embolden him to do whatever he wants. So that's, that will kind of counter what I'm saying. But I do think even just Trump's tweets, he's lost some of that fire. He's lost some of that edge. And I do think that COVID sort of denialism and him just doubling down constantly on his mishandling of the pandemic is not going to bore out positively for him, regardless like I, yeah, but he could get increasingly desperate then because true. he's losing it, you know? You're right. Like if he, so that's the issue. Rhetorically, he's going he's gonna to try to do crazier and crazier shit. So that's dangerous. Biden's rhetoric is not going to be dangerous on that level. Biden's foreign policy rhetoric will probably be dangerous. Um, you know, some of Biden's like anti-left rhetoric will be dangerous for different reasons, but it's not going to be, we're not going to have a president who's going to be like inciting violence on Twitter and just like, Inciting chaos. That's not going to happen. Right. Um, He's a
1: chaos agent and he thrives on confusion and paranoia. And that is just, this cult of personality is really unmatched by anything else. And that is something unique. So, this whole notion that, you know, the Democrats will win and then a more dangerous Trump will be posed to us in 2024, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think Trump is a unique aberration of the, you know, outgrowth of neoliberalism that I don't, I don't think we're just going to see like another Trump maybe for quite some time. I could be wrong, but I, I think that he does represent something very disturbing that is kind of a perfect, um, encapsulation of all the fucked up things about American society that, that just somehow all fit together. It was like the perfect storm. Mm -hmm. Um, so there is something to be said about that, but do you want to get a little bit more into um, before we get into foreign policy and SCOTUS and the Hunter Biden stuff and taking more questions? Should we take a couple of questions before we get into a little bit more of our
0: yeah personal stuff Why here? Why don't you go? It's in the private chat tab of the, of the okay. stream window. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the bathroom really quick and you okay. want to answer a question too?
1: Sure. Back. Okay. So, let's see. So Scooby Snacks says, are you back with your regular video content creation? What else will you be doing? How will we follow your work? So yeah, given the fact that all of these content creators are being essentially censored, um, their YouTube accounts are being shut down, I am very worried that ours could be on the chopping block. So please subscribe to our newsletter on the Empirefiles.tv and also on mediaroots.org. That is essential to accumulate emails and go back to kind of that sort of communication because of how quickly your YouTube and body of work for your entire life could just be snuffed out. However, we are going to move forward now that I am off maternity leave. I'm putting together frequent monologues, uh, kind of breaking the set style. Someone else mentioned breaking the set. I appreciate I appreciate that. Um, and yeah, it's sad that I haven't been doing that for a couple of years, but I'm definitely motivated to do that now. So monologues every week. We're also doing interviews every week for Empire Files. So we're gonna be putting out a lot more content that aren't just really complex mini docs that take us over a month to produce. So definitely stay tuned for that. Um, Robbie, Someone else asked, what did we think of the Watchmen series? We actually did several podcasts at Media Roots Radio talking about Watchmen as it was unfolding. You should go back and check those out. Um, And I don't know if you wanted to comment anything on that. I know Robbie um, ended up not liking it.
0: Well, I mean, I thought it started pretty strong, um, and then I thought it ended really poorly. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think the the writer behind it... um, I had a lot of issues with him, Damon Lindelof, but I think he's really good at doing that like puzzle box story of, or style of storytelling where it seems like there's all these mysteries that you're sort of moving towards that are going to be revealed and these amazing reveals. And then sort of by the time you get towards the end, you're like, oh, there's really nothing mm-hmm. that exciting here. Even though the ride was fun. I mean, he's the writer of Lost, um, if people aren't familiar with yeah, it, he's also <laughs> that makes sense Bethes, actually. Apparently The Leftovers, I guess, is a show he did that's oh God. his best work. I haven't what? seen it. That's what people say. I mean, I haven't seen it, so... Same shit. It, like, goes nowhere, you know? I'm not surprised to hear that. Um, but, I mean, I'm a huge, huge Alan Moore fan, and uh, I'm still waiting for someone to do a proper Alan Moore adaptation of anything that he's done. Um, maybe the closest thing we've gotten to that is V for Vendetta, um, but I still have a lot of issues with that. Um, and... You know, I'll just say if you're into DC Comics, if you're into like Alan Moore, um, I mean, honestly, the best show I think that's representing DC Comics right now is Doom Patrol. And that's not by Alan Moore. That's by um, Grant Morrison. Um, but it's probably the closest thing we'll get to anything that like resembles an Alan Moore comic that's live action because that's very cool. influenced by Alan Moore style. It's very weird. It's silly. It's basically how Swamp Things should have been as a show instead of being like a dark gothic horror show with no humor or science fiction elements it just kind of just fizzled out I mean they made a swamping show and I frankly thought it sucked so mm. um.
1: someone else asked in the chat what were our three favorite episodes uh, this is easy because I already had notes on this and I encourage people to go back and check these out because they really were monumental episodes in Media Roots history that uh, you know and I wear my heart on my sleeve I felt like A lot of them were very emotional. Um, Definitely the episode that's called Abby Goes to Gitmo, where Mm -hmm. for RT, I was able to go and cover the tribunals. um, And I was able to meet with one of the lawyers for uh, one of the Gitmo prisoners who told me that all the Gitmo prisoners watched breaking the set every day (laughs) and they were very excited and so they were passing secret messages to me, giving me the bottles of Ensure that they were being force fed. Um, It was a really emotional trip and that episode I think where you interview me about it was really deep. And um, another one of course that I'm really proud of, or series of episodes rather, was when we were on the cusp of the coup in Venezuela. And my brother and I were just doing, you know, so much work on trying to combat all of the disinfo. And even when I went to Venezuela, this was two years prior to Trump's coup attempt and talked about, you know, before this was really understood and maybe alternative media circles, it was a little bit less known. Um, But all of the things that were really going on there and all of my reporting on the ground there, Robbie, a very heavy agenda covered this, of course, but the... Cold War 2.0, the anti-Russia hysteria, how I was churned around in the mainstream media spectacle of my RT um, dissent against the Crimea incursion, Um, whether or not you agreed with my stance, it it was a really fascinating journey to see myself as the center of the mainstream media 24-hour news cycle, chewed up and spit out. My brother and I did a lot of work on that that I'm really proud of, just because it's a really fascinating insight on how these things work and function. And Look, when Liz Wall really, quick yeah, thing, of course, that
0: that episode. If people aren't aware, uh, the episode that we did, and I want I want to say the title probably had neocons, Cold War 2.0. Mm-hmm. In it, I'm I'm assuming, but that was basically the template for a very heavy agenda. I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that episode and the research conducted on that. I think it was like a three-hour episode. I mean, that's essentially where a very heavy agenda comes from. And sometimes that has happened. I mean, we did an episode about the anthrax attacks like six years ago, and that sort of inspired me to do American Anthrax. And I'm sure you've had similar situations where something that's come up on the podcast has influenced your work outside of it. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that 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 episode in particular, I think is really key for me. And I think the Schrodinger Super Patriot episode is is probably one of my favorite episodes that we've we've ever done. Um, and you know, a character from that episode, uh, Rudy Giuliani, has been popping up in the news again recently. Um, old Man Giuliani, not just from the stunt in the Borat movie, um, but you know, just from other things. Oh wait a second, we have another. I think we're getting another message here. Do we? Check it yeah. out. Yeah. See who this is? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Oh, it's Alex again. Let's see <laughs> what he has to say. I think you might have heard us talking about Rudy. I know that DNC left-wing
2: shill, Sasha Baron Cohen, that little good little stooge, he thinks that Giuliani's bad, he's doing a bad job, he's putting his hands down his pants, trying to find his wee-wee. Look, he's an old man, he's out there (laughs) battling the deep state. Rudy has all the documents, okay, he's literally got everything. He's got the most disgusting, nasty, vile, putrid things you could imagine on Hunter's laptop from hell. He's going to blow the thing wide open. Wow. Just like he did on that cleanup site after the anthrax attacks down in Florida. He got the contract. What? Robbie, my sources tell me that Giuliani was doing a bang up job when he was cleaning up the anthrax uh, with his company. They made sure that everybody <laughs> was shooting Cipro up their ass. I even did a shot myself the anthrax was a a strain that's not previously known to mankind and what i really think it is it's it's from another dimension they actually the uh uh um uh, the grays came in and they brought that strain of anthrax from dimension z i don't really want to say too much about it right now i don't i don't want to get you guys in trouble um i I know you i know you think it's crazy the reason they had to blow up building seven was because (laughs) donald trump had a secret Floor on Building Seven. They said there was 47 stories. There's actually 48. Donald was on the 48th story with Giuliani and Jerome Hauer, trying to expand the POC and wow. trying to stop the 9/11 attacks. But Larry Silverstein cut a big fart, and I had to pull it. He said, "Pull my finger." I watched the building come down. Oh, Everybody likes to talk about how much of a bad guy Larry Silverstein is, and he took out a uh, you know like a 99-year lease on the towers, and he had some some dermatology appointment the morning of 9/11. What he was really doing <laughs> is he, they did have gold beneath the towers, Robbie. They were moving the gold from the towers over to trump tower and that's where they crested all the toilets that they use he moved he moved it because he knew it would have been lost forever if the bathtub broke underneath the building so they made sure that it didn't break they were doing real humanitarian work with that and donald was in the penthouse of building seven uh you know looking at what was going on they had no idea the attacks were coming but he saw an opportunity for a real estate deal so they made sure that the the, you know that the the under infrastructure of the building was there and they, they they did take it down but ultimately, in the documents that were in the safe underneath the World Trade Center, had pictures of Epstein. This is how far back the Epstein thing goes, believe me. They had photos of Epstein Damn. in shot, building shoving on the uh, secret CIA floor. And that was all the stuff that the FBI actually took out. This is what Q told me. They took it out of uh, Epstein's house, <laughs> including photos of Les Waxner and Ghislaine Maxwell, you know, dressing up like the Flintstones. It's just sick. These people are sick,
0: they're sick people. Wow. So I guess he just it sounds like sure.
1: he's losing it, man. Yeah. Alex, how much fucking drugs are you on right now, dude? How much adren- well, <laughs> adrenochrome did you did he, you chug before that? <laughs> he
0: might be hitting the adrenochrome a little too hard, but I think Alex was trying to tell us that, uh, that Rudy, that Trump was actually a white hat on 9 11 and somehow he was involved in, he was in building seven, but he was involved in trying to stop the attack. So that's something I think people should follow up on
1: wow alex thank you so much for that incredible insight we appreciate it so much i had no idea that trump had a secret a secret room in in building seven that makes a lot of sense dude
0: yeah (laughs) um i mean i i don't know he might want to send us more clips so if at any point any he, he sends us any more we might we might play them um throughout the episode um,
1: uh, but Robbie, a quick, quick comment on my favorite episodes that you've done solo. You've done a lot of amazing solo ones. The Committee on Present Danger China, people should check out. Of course, uh, the Anthrax episode that you mentioned that we are still own, owing part two. And the QAnon podcasts that have all been amazing, groundbreaking work and I think have really put Media Roots, level, <laughs> Media Roots Radio on a new level.
0: Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. I mean, you know... Uh, The Committee on the Present Danger thing. Um, I really feel like we need to follow up on that at some point, regardless of who wins the election, because it does seem to be that's the new that's the new pivot is basically Mm -hmm. China. Um, You know, it's there's really no truth to the idea that the establishment is, quote unquote, pro China. I mean, it's very clear that a lot of these national security hawks, national security state has wanted to pivot towards China for a long time. Um, and you know, in terms of actually being a global competitor to the United States, economically speaking, Russia is not. So it really, I mean, militarily Russia is, um, but China is not only, a, a, an economic competitor, right. also a military competitor. So it does make sense why this is the new pivot. Why it, it also makes sense why it took so long to get here too. I mean, I interviewed Dave DeComp on, um, An episode I think you were on leave for where he goes into um, how, you know, we sort of go into the idea that the Afghanistan war, part of the motivation for occupying Afghanistan for so long could be essentially wage some kind of economic proxy war against China um, because of their one road, one belt initiative. And it really does seem to make a lot of sense. I mean, there's very little other reasons Except for like, you know, mining rare minerals and things like that, getting the resource out of the country. So that's something I think that people need to examine is the linkage between Afghanistan and this increasing adversarial pivot towards China. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of uh, some of our other episodes Mm -hmm. we've done um, like back in the day that I really liked. I mean, I really liked when we talked about, you know, our first psychedelic experiences and stuff like that. I mean, that was that was pretty cool it was sort of more revealing yeah. like personal a lot of people don't usually a play. lot
1: of people don't know that you gave me DMT when i was what 17 18 <laughs> without even telling me what it was you just slapped headphones on I me and you just said was. smoke this bong well i had n- <laughs> i didn't really fucking understand
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> so i
1: think yeah. it really sparked a lot of my artistic expression that i've used uh, honed in on since then so i can't thank you enough for that but it's funny how much your ego holds on to or preserves itself where you know I've tried to do DMT later on in my life and I just haven't been able to let go as much as I did that first time but definitely not, much, not as much as you have where I never actually met the elves that Alex Jones talks
0: about so much Clockwork
1: the little elves. green elves yeah
0: yeah if you haven't heard Alex Jones's DMT rant it's incredible he, he basically invents this fiction about how the DEA and like people in the government have been injecting DMT for like decades <laughs> and that they're the New World Order is actually like collaborating with the Clockwork Elves. And it's like incredible to me because it was actually like very similar storytelling to the, to a script that I've been working on, like a movie script for like the past 10 years. It's probably never going to be finished. And I'll just tell people now. I mean, it's basically a mockumentary about the DEA. Um, and that was actually like part of my script was about how the DEA are like the most... Um, intense psychonauts who do like the most psychedelics and they have like all these mm-hmm. secret psychedelics so it was really interesting to hear Alex Jones uh going off on that I mean dude is a good storyteller I'll give him that I mean he's... absolutely you know um so yeah I mean you want yeah talk so about, let's oh no you mm-hmm. you go
1: no 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 what were you gonna say
0: I was gonna say do you want to talk I, I've been I keep getting this question every time I go on a new podcast what? which is like where? was it because of our parents or mm-hmm. you know were were did we were raised in like a leftist family or like ant you know anti-imperialist family how did we how did we get to this place politically um and i i don't know i mean i think in fairness to mom and dad you know they were like maybe partisan democrats but they were never like rah rah patriotic they never like pushed any like american dogma on us in terms of like what, you know, why it's okay to go to war. Um, so, I mean, I think we were lucky in that sense. We didn't really grow up in like a patriotic family or a family that like tried to justify horrible things the US would do. It just wasn't something that really came up that much. Um, but I don't know. I mean, how do you feel about uh, that? Do you feel like mom and dad um, brushed off on you politically or do you think maybe even grandpa planted some of those seeds?
1: Well, I definitely remember growing up like in, you know, just in a pretty democratic family. So a lot of adherence to like the Clinton ideology where I just felt like I was like a proud Democrat, you know, when I became like a young adult. Um, But I do remember grandpa primarily at dinner around the table, just arguing on behalf of Clinton and against Republicans. And I think that was where we all started from Mm -hmm. was, uh you know being more liberal i guess but yeah i mean i think that dad's obsession with like vietnam probably helped plant the seeds of vietnam being really fucked up and bad yeah even though he didn't serve abroad he still was drafted and um you know and all of that and and he constantly watched vietnam movies and world war 2 shit and so i i think just in the background that did influence my take on somewhat unlike the u.s wars being bad um but yeah i think you know to their credit no they didn't indoctrinate us and they didn't indoctrinate us in religion either which i think was a tremendous help for us to be free independent thinkers yeah as adults
0: yeah we weren't really even raised like atheists either i mean that's the thing it's like we were raised in a pretty neutral ideological framework which i think sort of allowed us to you know grow and evolve as people into our own sort of political worldview. Um, and I think, I mean, I remember having, like, I think it's like in high school, probably everybody does this where they have to interview one of their grandparents about World War II. Um, it's like something that's a lot of kids have done either middle school or high school. And I remember, you know, I remember being really surprised because when I went into it with grandpa, I just assumed he would have a much more traditional point of view on Mm -hmm. what World War II was like for him. And I remember that sort of when I learned that he was just riddled with guilt. Like he's just carried this guilt and sadness with him about his experience in World War II. It wasn't, there was not even a hint of America beat fascism. We saved the world. We liberated people from the Holocaust. It was more like this was a really sad thing that we did. It was completely wrong, and none of the Japanese people who were interned were guilty or spies. And that was his takeaway from World War Two. And also, his brother was serving in Alaska, not even in combat, and died on a boat uh, that crashed. So, I and didn't make...
1: Grandma's first boyfriend die in the war too?
0: That's a good question. Maybe yeah, like her neighbor. Yeah, foremost, if she's. Watching, yeah, no, yeah. I
1: think that there was something that happened there too, but yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's it, and it,
0: it was his, and just so for people who don't know what our grandfather did in World War II, his job was he would go around to all the different Japanese internment camps, a lot of them were on farms in horse stables where the Japanese people would often stay. And he, his job was to sit in court every day and do the transcription of the court trials. People may not know that they actually would do regular trials, I mean, basically kangaroo court, to prove, so every Japanese interned citizen had a chance to prove their innocence. They were found guilty before being innocent, basically. So imagine how messed up that court system was, and that was grandpa's job. He sat in court and watched these people plead their innocence. These poor, innocent Japanese citizens were rounded up and thrown in fucking camps. So I think that you know, maybe that's somewhere in my DNA that, that I got sort of absorbed that, um, but I don't know. I mean, it's, I can't really draw a direct line from that mm. or anything mom and dad like taught us growing up to where we are politically now, but I think it definitely all sort of contributed and, you know, helped form our worldview because you and I never, I think, grew up with any false perception of like World War II being this necessary and just war I mean, it was very easy for me once I learned about Hiroshima to understand like how much that was basically like a genocide that was like our version of the Holocaust. Um, so I don't know. I mean, what are you? What are your thoughts on that?
1: I wish that I was old enough and politically astute enough to have absorbed Grandpa's perspective and ideology at the time. And what's sad is that he died when I was too young to appreciate his politics enough, and especially his perspective on what he did um, in the military to transcribe the intern Japanese people. But I do know that he held tremendous guilt. I do know that they took in Japanese exchange students because of his guilt carrying over later in life. And I, I, I absolutely think that the empathy that he held for oppressed people and people that he, you know, oppressed while he was doing that work or not, not him directly, but I mean, the institution that he represented, um, definitely inspired us, you know, whether we know it or not. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm really grateful for, for at least being exposed to that. Um, even if I didn't understand it at the time.
0: Yeah. Same, same. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I mean, it took me a while, I think to realize, even after nine eleven, how many people were just sort of automatically going along with the the propaganda that we needed to attack someone, mm-hmm. and I think that I just stayed firm in that position that that it was not right. It didn't make logical sense why we would attack a country for something like this, and I, I think that it's. I still firmly believe that. And that's sort of why I cringe, you know, and I still have, it's not even that you have to be a 9-11 truther or someone who believes in the conspiracies. It's just the fundamental idea of the war on terror itself, the framing of it is false. It's not, it's just not logically um, consistent. So, you know, that's why I really cringe when I hear people like Tulsi Gabbard uh, saying that she believes we were... Uh, like they declared war on us on 9-11. Like she'll mm-hmm. say things like that. And it's just like, who are you talking about? This tiny fringe group of Al-Qaeda people who uh, many experts said there was only a hundred total of them at the time of 9-11. I mean, that's a hundred people declared war on us and you're going to wage war back with the full might of the U.S. military. It's To me, it's a very imperialist hubristic framing and I can't accept it. And that's why I think we really need to fight for what actually an important anti-war, anti-imperialist perspective, rather than just rallying behind and standing for someone who claims to be anti-war. I mean, it's like we've always said, Trump, part of the reason he won is because he ran against the Iraq war. He acted like it was terrible. He ran against the Bushes. I mean, and look at him now, you know, he assassinated Soleimani, which is probably going to make it impossible for us to ever get into anything like the Iran deal again. I mean, let's just face that reality. Right, even it's emboldened
1: Biden, the right the right wing in Iran to the point where they don't even yeah. trust the U.S. enough How to could they? Try, how could they? Deal, yeah.
0: I mean, even if Biden I, poured I, mm-hmm. all of his resources into that, let's say that was like, well, he did something good and was actually like, I want to do everything we can to get back in the Iran deal. I don't see it happening, honestly. I think that trajectory... That's
1: really scary. It is scary. Uh, I wanted to add, someone mentioned Palestine, of course, Abby goes to Palestine, check that out as well. Really, really great episode of Media Roots Radio. Robbie, I agree with you, there's this weird projection of people who buy into the framework of the war on terror about, you know, they declared war on us. Well, who declared war on who? You're erasing the militancy of the U.S. empire and what we've done to precipitate all of these, uh, if you want to look at even 9-11 at face value. How did that happen? Why, why would they attack us? It's just, it's just so childish and cartoonish to look at that in a vacuum and not say, oh, well, of course. You know, When, when the U.S. military and empire is funding death squads around the world and for capital gain, the fuck do you think is going to happen? <laughs> um, read Chalmers Johnson's book, Blowback. That's one thing that really opened my eyes about U.S. militarism. You can just hone in on what bases do to destroy the environment to destroy culture um and you know everything so it's it's a sickness and i think it just again goes back to this american exceptionalism that's diseased so many people and we need to get out of that framework and we need to get out of that line of thinking and become internationalist in our perspective where everyone around the world is the same as us we're all human beings we all bleed the same blood and um our government is responsible for so many goddamn atrocities and subjugating tens of millions of people around the world that, you know, we're empire babies and we need to galvanize to stop the crimes that our government is perpetrating to the oppressed and marginalized people that are suffering through our policies that the vast majority of Americans have no idea because we're so misinformed.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think most Americans who probably are aware that we, you know, we're responsible for getting... Attack 9 11, who buy into the official story. They probably got that narrative mostly from like Michael Moore or Fahrenheit 9 11. But oddly, Abby, and we've even talked about this, is how even liberal people have gotten even more conservative in their views as more time passes since Fahrenheit 9 11. It's like when like the general public saw that movie, I feel like they were more open minded to how bad shit really was and how much America did generate this, the, the perfect storm basically to get attacked if you buy that part of the story
1: uh, yeah what is it is it the fact that we've just been indoctrinated for 20 years that it's so in the background that it's become such a part of everyday life that we've just accepted this as reality accepted this as the new normal which is draconian surveillance and an endless war and drone bombing the fact that people it's don't right. care that trump has increased or quadrupled drone strikes it's yep. like I missed that outrage during the Obama administration. Or what What happened?
0: Even just the Snowden stuff. I mean, we knew. Yeah. What about everybody? And I remember Scahill bringing this up. Jeremy Scahill would say, if you think Obama's good and you're not worried about him with this NSA power, Mm -hmm. just wait till another administration gets in that you don't like or that you're afraid of. Yep. And we've been in that situation for the last four years and nobody talks about the NSA surveillance grid. No one talks about what powers have increased since then. I mean, four years is a long time for technological advancements in surveillance. So where is all that coverage? Why don't we hear anything about that anymore? It's not just, yeah, the increased drone strikes is pretty disturbing too, that we rarely hear anybody talk about that. But that is another angle that I'm just confused about. It's like we've reached this culmination where it's like, yeah, this government is out of control, has insane amounts of power, and yet now it's not an issue. It's just not discussed preach anymore. Preach. I'm going to go to the bathroom, preach okay. and answer a question. Okay. Um, so let me go back and s- I'm going to start at the right at the end. And uh, thank you to our trusty mod, Furious Psyop. He's been doing a great job um, fielding questions since we lost Super Chat, as Abby told you. Well, we didn't lose it. We just never gained it because right? YouTube has weird rules and things like that. Um, let's see. Um, who were a few of your favorite guests? Um, says Carl Knight. Uh, I think me personally, some of my favorite guests, I think one of my favorite guests is someone that a lot of people overlook in the NSA spying scandal. And it was really only our, it was our biggest get in terms of, we. Tr- I think we reached out to some other people as well. Um, but Mark Klein, um, who was a corporate whistleblower. He was a contractor. I think he was working for at and at the time. And he essentially discovered because he was a savvy guy, he had studied deep politics. Um, he was always a political guy. And he had discovered sort of inadvertently that the NSA had put a filter on at and entire internet stream in the San Francisco Bay Area hub, the office that he worked in. And Mark Klein is actually one of the first people to blow the whistle on this program. He didn't know the full scope of it, but was really happy to bring him on Media Roots. It was actually really great to hear him go off um, once we sort of told him that we're not on air, you know, we're not on live radio. He just sort of went off. He's, hmm. He just talked about how he his favorite kind of whistleblowers are ones like Philip Agee, who actually overtly put CIA agents in the field's lives in danger. And I was like, that is fucking badass like this. We need more people who just like go off on that. And you know, who really talk about how evil the CIA is. And he's the one who actually introduced me to who Philip Agee was. And also, you know, that is my kind of whistleblower. I'd like to see more whistleblowers like that. And I do have an issue with WikiLeaks and other entities that leak things redacting agents in the field's names. I mean, I, I frankly think that they should all be exposed. So um Abby <laughs> I just answered I just answered the question who are some of our favorite guests on the podcast? Cool. And my mind for some reason went to Mark Klein. So I, don't, cool. I think it's more of an overlooked episode of ours, but I really liked him coming on our podcast. What about you?
1: Um, oh, man, there's so many. Uh, Mark Klein was a really great one. I mean, I know we just did this one, but Peter, it, it's funny that we finally had him on because I absolutely love hearing him talk. I can hear him talk all day long. So that was a really cool podcast to do. I think Mark Ames coming on a long time ago. Oh, that was
0: fantastic! Um, yeah, but that was just me solo, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. My one.
1: friend Ryan Wentz talking about pink washing in Israel. There's been so many fun ones. It's hard to think back because I have such a bad memory, especially with baby brain. But man, it, it's it's been a wild ride. It's been so fun, and we just hope to be putting out more and more awesome content moving forward. Um, Robbie, I wanted to talk a little bit more about some childhood. Stuff, if you okay. don't mind.
0: No, I don't. Um, I, I have to do what you just did. I sh- I shouldn't be drinking so much Gatorade. Um, <laughs> but, but why don't you answer? We're not question. being sponsored by Gatorade. Why don't you click on the private chat tab, Abby, and answer this sure. question about Peter Joseph? It's um, it's the third newest question. Or I'll just read it to you before I leave. Do you share Peter Joseph's view that the popular and radical left leftist movements of today are outdated and doomed to fail despite noble intentions? Okay, I'll leave you with no, a challenge I,
1: question. I, sure. No, I don't. Because I think that what Peter is looking at um, is the fact that there's so many disconnected activist initiatives that are not actually looking at capitalism as the source and looking at things with a systems approach. So I am involved in activism that is anti-capitalist. And so I... I agree to a certain extent that, yeah, we're so um, disconnected from each other and it's really hard when people aren't understanding and they just kind of talk abstractly about, you know, things that aren't really the root. Um, So I get his frustration because he's so brilliant and he's just like, how do you not fucking see this? Um, But (laughs) you know, being involved in anti-capitalist struggles and linking that to militarism and having that be my guide. my activism, I am inspired and I am inspired, especially on the heels of the Bernie movement that tens of millions of people are actually looking, you know, rejecting capitalism and socialism is not becoming a bad word anymore and organizing as such. So I do disagree with him. I get his um, pessimism, but I think that we should be optimistic because people, uh, people can change and, and overthrow the system that we have. And, you know, that's how movements work and that's how they happen. But Robbie, I wanted to quickly tell people that you were quite the edgelord back in the day.
0: <laughs> I was going to the you questions now.
1: <laughs> yeah, you were, you were quite the edgelord. You were, I mean, we grew up with the internet, with the internet. Like we were, you know, our, you like basically like put computers together and shit when you were a kid, you, you know, you exposed me to the dark world of all these crazy ass things online I don't even know if you can access this shit anymore ogreish.com and, the, and <laughs> all the dark web material and the chat rooms and you met a lot of your good friends today on different musician forums and stuff like that of electronic music I remember watching Faces of Death and seeing quite Barbaric shit that you showed me <laughs> back in the day that blew my mind. Uh, kind of crushed a lot of my childhood notions of what the world was. But I mean, looking at like how the alt right gets radicalized online and stuff, and um, you being just kind of fucking nuts back in the day and and um, really out there, right? You know, this is a this is a guy who wore hospital scrubs to school and. To the point where when we ordered takeout from China Village, which is our our local Chinese food store, they actually thought Robbie was a doctor. And they were like, oh, Dr. Martin, your food's ready. Um, So you were really out there. You were really counterculture. Conservatism is the new counterculture, right? But you were really counterculture. You were counter to every fucking thing that was mainstream. And you, at the end of the day, as much as we may have not gotten along during our teenage years, you inspired the fuck out of me. I would not be who I am today without you. I consider you the most brilliant person I know, and you're so well-rounded with so many things beyond just politics. But do you look back at the internet, I guess, as a radicalizing tool? And do you understand now how people getting into it can go different ways where they become alt-right? And do you feel like you took a path where you could have become that person?
0: No, that's a good question. Yeah, because I, I mean... I think the only thing I avoided, um, that I'm glad I did, probably during that era of my life was like 4chan and those kinds of forums that were it's like the things get really, you know, edgy to the point where it's child pornography. I mean 4chan used to be like you would scroll through it and it'd be like a child porn picture and then like a picture of like someone's head blown off, you know, with like ten N words and like a bunch of, like, things about how the Holocaust isn't real. I mean, 4chan, from my perspective, actually used to be even worse. And I remember being cognizant enough at the time to, like, know to avoid that. So, like, and I think also part of it was I was so, like, anti-subculture. Like, I prided myself on not being any part of, like, any group or subculture that I would have, like, rejected any sort of like political paradigm, like edge lordery, you know, like whatever the proto version of the alt-right was <laughs> at that time, mm-hmm. I would have rejected it on its face because I just rejected like everything. Like that was sort of like my my philosophy at the time to the point where I was just like, you know, I almost like led my life at that time almost like a performance artist. I mean, I was mm-hmm. doing things like I, you know, and in my Masonic history episode I talk about how I spent, I don't know, months of my life trying to figure out how to infiltrate Masonic lodges with Ben, and like we were like dead set on like actually getting it, you know, stuff like that. Um, But I think in general, I mean, it was a weird era. It's a weird era to be, you know, a lonely nerdy teen. I mean, I had a girlfriend in high school, but um, you know, I was a social outcast. I wasn't really part of any group. I had like a few close friends, but. I definitely could see how someone Mm -hmm. who's lonely and maybe came from a worse upbringing than we did, uh, you know, going on the Internet and in a bad, depressed downward spiral and it radicalizing them into an even worse place. I mean, I remember even back then on the Internet, like I I didn't know that the word incel didn't exist, but I would see people like that whole pickup artistry scene was like very popular online and it was like if you're a social outcast if you're a nerd this is what you need to do to like get laid Mm -hmm. and that was sort of like existed when i was when i was um in that era and i remember thinking it was just the dumbest shit ever and i was thinking like but i mean like i wasn't i don't i wouldn't call myself like misogynist at the time but i remember thinking this Mm -hmm. is just doesn't make any sense from a logical perspective like why not just like Hire a sex worker. If you just, if this is how you're trying to get laid by like manipulating women and like game theory and everything out, why even, what's the point? It just didn't make sense to me. Um, but I also think, I mean, even just like, think of the era we grew up in. I'll turn this question to you. Like, I mean, it must be awfully strange. I mean, you just had a kid, um, so I sometimes think oh, yeah. about like what like one is it little like now being one little movie a yeah child who's cute and, and just watch it over and over online. again yeah because I mean, like, there's like it was hard Google to get you know search and video search <laughs> anything now I mean any child who has any experience on the internet <laughs> they, like, instantly get access to hardcore porn it was not like that when we were kids I remember like I would spend yeah like an overnight downloading session just to get like one movie like that's ASL dude age sex to location I mean, where you at yeah chat room smuggling a VHS <laughs> just tape just over and over again, yeah yeah it's like, it you know? yeah you you had to like it was like it was like treasure hunting you had to like hoard your porn and really like make sure you got <laughs> it from the right places and stuff and like I mean and the internet was filled with pe- pedophiles back then too I remember yeah I mean definitely being like preyed upon by like older men and stuff like in um... ASL, dude. Age sex yeah yeah, yeah the, so I mean geez I the internet seemed like a dangerous place back then you know, for people who are maybe in a in a mentally uh, weak place or in you know easily influenced place, so yeah, I mean, I would say it's probably worse now, and I would just say I'm lucky that I just rejected everything, um, and that's probably why I didn't ha- you know didn't even get close to going that edge lord alt right trajectory.
1: <laughs> I mean, I I'm so happy that the that social media didn't exist when i was in high school cuz holy fuck cringe central going through the goth stage going through the skater phase going through the punk stage and then going through the gangster stage trying to you know conform with whatever group think group identity to be popular or you know all of that and i was quite bullied in middle school and it was a really hard traumatic time as well but my god my MySpace page is cringe enough. Um, is it I just still there? can't imagine. I don't know. <laughs>
0: trying to find it. I bet it's.
1: Still, I know it's it'd be still up. It'd be. It's horrible. Um, but I just can't <laughs> imagine like having all that mapped out. You know, and kids who are getting on social media so young now, and being able to have this kind of data mining and, you know, track. Record of, of them from youth until and, and all the bullying used on social media, pretending that you're someone else, trying to solicit like naked photos. I there's so much that can go wrong. I'm trying not to think about that with my child, <laughs> but what I, you know, I feel like I have years down the line where I need to start worrying about that. And we actually don't know what even social media is going to look like at that point. So I'm just trying to take it one day at a time, but it is very scary of what the future holds and what social media can do to destroy people. We know that kids like are like committing suicide and it's just a lot, it's a lot going on and it's really heavy for children to be growing up in this environment, especially with the kind of doomsday shit going on in the periphery.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying, I I think I, I mean, I'm just remembering the AOL days and how like easy it was to get your account taken away Remember that? Mm-hmm. Like how they just like ban you instantly for like emailing someone a swear <laughs> word or something. Um, so there I mean, in a way that might have been safer because like the bullying probably could not reach a, a level where it would induce someone to commit suicide. Although I'm sure that probably happened back then. But it's a scary. Yeah, it's a scary thing. I mean, um, I can't even imagine uh, what it would be like to be like bullied at school and then be like bullied online in addition to that in like an mm-hmm. effective way. I mean a lot of these mm-hmm. kids who probably try to bully online are not good at it, but at the same time, I mean, you know, kids underage sex now uh take naked mm-hmm. pictures of themselves. So it's like yep. it really opens the door to some crazier uh things that can happen to kids. And yeah, I really feel for them. Um and I was gonna say something about the incel thing, but I can't remember what I was gonna say. Uh but yeah, it's it is just strange how like we were sort of on the precipice of like when the internet was becoming popular and yeah, I mean, even just the pornography angle is just super strange. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how that should change society, if it's <laughs> for the right. better or what. But um, yeah, uh, I don't know. Well,
1: a lot of people, a lot of people don't know that we grew up in Pleasanton, the same town that Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert, actually lives in. Um, he lives in some Mansion in Pleasanton. He is absolutely bizarre. And a lot of people may not also know that he started a restaurant called Stacy's. Used to be somewhat decent and now it's just absolute trash pit. But what's really strange about Stacy's, Robbie, before we even knew how ridiculous of a figure Scott Adams was and before he became like a Donald Trump sycophant, he had a muralist paint himself and his wife in one of the most bizarre murals I've ever seen. There's like a sex worker on a payphone... Um, there's, there's all this shit going on in the background and then there's Scott Adams and his wife, like staring dead-eyed at the people who are in the restaurant eating. And we just trolled the fuck out of the guest book and Stacy's constantly as kids. And that's one of my fondest memories. So it's, it's just quite (laughs) comical to look back at it and think, wow, (laughs) I had no idea really who Scott Adams was.
0: Yeah, I mean, all we knew about him was he was a Dilbert creator, and like we we're, i think his cartoon was like on UPN at the time, um, and we were like, Dilbert sucked. Like we didn't like it, and <laughs> we thought he sucked. And also, the mural in the restaurant Stacy's was was very interesting because it not only had him painted in the picture and all the other things you described but it looked like it had been painted over and er like people out of it had been like erased and the background had been changed multiple, multiple times. Like whoever painted it did like several different drafts and used the same canvas and like didn't fully erase when they had like painted over a person. (laughs) So I'm wondering like, did Scott Adams like make friends in Pleasanton try to be like some badass and then like, and then like have falling outs with people that he like removed from the mural. Was he just really OCD? Like, hovering over this mural artist being like, no, I I want you to take that guy out and like paint a new guy in. I don't like the way he looks. It was just, I remember we would just be confounded at the mural because it looked really sloppy and just outright bizarre um, in the restaurant. And I think one of my favorite things that I did in the guest book, and I don't know if you were there, Abby, but I actually drew a pretty, I would like to say that I drew a pretty good depiction of Dilbert uh, being executed (laughs) inside of his guest book. And uh, I was actually proud of the fact <laughs> that eventually they removed the guest book entirely and I'm I hope I like to think it was because of you and me and this is before we knew anything about his politics we just thought this guy was a fucking douchebag like midlife crisis dude in Pleasanton so
1: I bet you he's so ego maniacal that I bet you he like personally would go and read it you know what I mean
0: I'm sure i was I, just I like to him I'm like dude we fucking destroyed your guest book at Stacy's. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he's the, he's fucking trash. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, another thing that we did, I went, not even as kids, I was like 18. <laughs> yeah, well, so I guess I should have known
0: better. <laughs> yeah, you were probably 18. Yeah, I think so. Uh,
1: but yeah, I, I actually well, was maybe 17 or 16 because it was when the disputed election was happening, right? It was when the Gore v. Bush decision was being deliberated. And in Pleasanton, pretty conservative, white, dominant town, um, there were people rallying in everywhere with Bush signs. And so uh, I don't even know. I think I was driving the Volvo or some
0: shit. And, and I, like, car, revved. Yeah.
1: I was? Yeah. <laughs> Why? I don't remember. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> you guys were fucked up, no, I, huh? think I, I You think and Nikki.
0: Actually, I do think we I smoked Salvia. And you decided oh, to well drive. Oh, well, then, yeah. 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 Was I was too scared to smoke salvia. You
1: kept trying You kept trying to get me to smoke salvia and I didn't want to. Yeah. I still have not done that. So that makes sense. I'm glad you had me drive. I yeah, was yeah, responsible yeah. enough to, to cart you and Nikki around, um, RIP Nikki. But yeah, so I saw this group of Bush. This is actually Thanksgiving Day. It's funny that you smoke <laughs> salvia on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> so we're driving to mom's house. And the Bush supporters are standing on the corner. And just to give them a little scare, which is not really funny in light of all the car ramming attacks today with BLM, but I just revved my engine pretending like I was going to, you know, just to give them a little fright and then drove, you know, to mom's. And about an hour or two later, the police came to the house in the middle of Thanksgiving dinner and, uh, you know talked about how I I terrified all the Bush supporters and um, they said that I tried to run them over, which was a total exaggeration. <laughs> well, that, and there was actually an article written up in the newspaper about this unhinged woman in a, in a Volvo that yep. tried to run over Bush supporters My in the car. corner. So yeah, it, <laughs>
0: As, so one that's one what happens. Things, one of the best things ever, because I think it was also our first experience with fake news because right. the article was like, vitriolically trying to portray what you did as like a terrorist attack even though the cop just like when he came and talked to you, he's like oh yeah you didn't do anything illegal like yeah i was just like what yeah but like the article (laughs) in the local paper made it sound like we did like a car attack on the bush supporters
1: right right
0: i mean in retrospect we weren't that political back then but like yeah fuck the bush supporters Yeah. It's funny that
1: that happened. (laughs) Uh, My, my boyfriend at the time who became like a crazy right winger, his mom was, I think out there too. Um, So yeah, funny shit. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about any other like cringy things that happened when we were in high school, but um, I remember you had a phase where you actually were wearing like puka shells and had spiked hair as a joke, like to mock people who, who did that. And we went to you know, we went to Disney World in Florida and you were in that phase. I remember the photos. Um, it's just hilarious because people looking at him would be like, what the fuck? Like, I wouldn't picture your brother doing that, but it's like you were doing it to mock them. And then you also had a phase where you actually dyed your hair gray <laughs> for yep. purpose. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that was I mean, another
0: good one. I, I'm trying to think of, uh, so the, the buying the puka shells and the spike hair. So I had this plan where you know how like an in Inspector Gadget or like the Ernest movies, they open their closet and it's just like the same <laughs> outfit over and over again. My idea was to have like a different genre of subculture outfit like every day that I would change into. So like one day I'd be like a total raver with like can- you know like um, the candy bracelets and like the the little like neon um, things and like the giant jinko pants. I actually bought like a raver outfit. I bought like a, a douchebag, like frat bro outfit with the puka shells and like the, you know, the type of shirts that they would wear. I don't know how far I got with it, but my plan was to have one like for every day where I'd be like a different <laughs> subculture and like pretend. And then I think I finally told someone, yeah, like I'm going to pretend to be like I'm in the army. And then um, like I got like a yelling match with a, like my roommate at the time who was going to join the army. And he's like, that's stolen valor. You can't do that. It's illegal. And I'm like, it's not illegal. Arrest me, dude. I'll do whatever I want. I'll dress like you know, fuck <laughs> it. And uh and I think that was probably I gave up at that point because I'm like I don't know. But uh but yeah, it was like a plan of mine for a little bit. Um but like we were into some I was trying to think of like things we used to be into in high school like music or movies mm-hmm. that would like be embarrassing to me now or or like things that have just not aged well that I was really into. Mm-hmm. Um and I think like I Was gonna say, probably the best stuff I listened to in high school musically was that actually holds up still is probably like Primus. Like, I mm-hmm. would actually say they're good, like, they held up, like, Nine Inch Nails mm-hmm. for the most part holds up. Um, 311, very cheesy. Uh, but I still the, like a couple of 311 s- 11 musically albums. Speaking, they're great. I mean, I'm not yeah. gonna look, you know, um. You know, it's it's like white boy, like reggae, you know, rap at times, but it's, I mean, come on, it's 311. You got to come original. Um <laughs> So I don't know. I mean, in terms of like stuff that I, that I would be embarrassed by now, I think, I'm trying to think of what else I was into. I mean, I was into like some of those Nine Inch Nails clone bands, like Gravity Kills. I think mm-hmm. I like them. Um God, I don't remember. I, I'm not avoiding mentioning embarrassing music. I'm actually like having a, hard time racking my brain. Well,
1: but, you would also just like force the family to listen to like static on the radio, yeah,
0: was trying, like white noise. Make you listen to Mersbau in the car. <laughs> what, are some, so, uh, what are some movies you really liked in high school that you've tried to watch now that are like, this sucks?
1: I mean, it's funny because I, I'm sure there are plenty that are bad, but I feel like a lot of the ones that were cult classics to us have held up largely, even mm-hmm. for their cheesiness like monster squad. Someone actually said that that photo of us on the live stream looked like us yep. in monster squad. Couldn't agree more. Hilarious. Uh, I don't know why the fuck we were so blonde. We look like children from the cor- children <laughs> of the corn. Um, but but yeah, I mean like Monster Squad burbs 100% still amazing solid ass movie. Bill and Ted is absolutely terrible now. Sorry Alex Winner. I tried to rewatch the first two Bill and Ted's to prepare myself for the new one. And they were like unwatchable.
0: (laughs) I like the second Um, one. Bogus journey is a good.
1: It's ridiculous. Uh, So bad. Um, And what about Bob? I actually just watched the other day. It has largely held up. It's just, it's not as funny as it was, but it still, has still had its moments. And then you have like the, you know, gremlins labyrinth. All those are such cult classics that I feel like they still totally hold up, especially, um, just for the sake of like how cool they were and how groundbreaking they were at the time. But I don't know. You said you- Bride of Boogity. You, you rewatched and it was terrible. I've I've been wanting to rewatch that because I have fond memories of
0: just kidding. The Boogity movies have not aged well, unfortunately. <laughs> um,
1: just kidding.
0: But I was I just remembered one that you were really into. Do you remember when Grandpa what? managed to get the um the movie poster for you? Of one of your one of your favorite movies at the time, tell remind me seventh or eighth grade, Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo. DiCaprio.
1: Oh yeah, dude! I'm still. I just bought a T-shirt, a cool vintage T-shirt of of Romeo and Juliet. You did? Yeah, no, I'm I'm still. I I would like to rewatch that. I'm sure it's awful now, but <laughs> yeah, I was obsessed with Leonardo DiCaprio for sure. I was a total teen beat dumbass. Were you in um, Titanic?
0: Did you get like swept away by Titanic? You
1: no, well? I didn't love Titanic, but I, of course I watched it. But yeah, no, Romeo and Juliet was really like a, a big, a big one for me. I thought he was so cool, man. That chain smoking probably fucking made me smoke for as long as I did.
0: Wait, who was I the blame girl you? who played Juliet? Was it Claire? Clair, uh,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Did you ever watch my soul called life? Or oh, Jackson's of course. Creek? Yeah. 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 Yeah yeah I was, I was my so-called te- life yeah I was just telling Lori like I had I had like real issues I wasn't able to watch my so-called life or watch movies like kids when I was in high school because it like reminded me too much of like real life like mm-hmm. it, like it was too depressing for me um, yeah too real yeah I mean
1: um by the way someone just wrote is media Roots podcast PayPal donate link Dead can you check on that I it shouldn't be if you want to donate via PayPal as a one-time donation, Um, send a PayPal donation to abby.suzanne A-B-B-Y dot S-U-Z-A-N-N-E at gmail.com and my brother and I will split that and please you can send that or you can of course become you can also do like a one-time yearly donation if I'm not mistaken Robbie through Patreon I don't know if that's true but it should be active if it's not just donate directly through PayPal
0: well you mean if anyone at any time could donate something through Patreon and just You know, just like uh, any subscription service, just only let it go active for one month and then cancel it. So that's Mm -hmm. always something you have the option to do. Um, Mm -hmm. And as I've tried to explain to people before, we still have people asking us, how do you only donate $5 per month if you have it set up for $5 per creation? It's very simple. There is a monthly cap amount um, on Patreon that you can set so that you only get charged for one of our podcasts per month out of the four. Um, And that puts you into the $5 tier where you have access to everything we do. So um, I I think most people have caught on to that, but I think some people are still a little confused about how that works.
1: Um, Please, any other questions that you have for us, please put them in the chat. We we are accumulating them and we will get to them. Robbie, um, one more just little memory that I have, especially when mom visited recently and brought some photo albums It was just amazing to see how much art we were doing. You know, this is one thing that I'm really grateful for our grandparents um, and parents for allowing us to immerse ourselves in art. You are an amazing artist. You had these epic drawings. Uh, You've always been really artistic and so was I. I was obsessed with Archie comics. Uh, I started many of my own comic strips and it was just really fun to kind of relive that through the photos and all the memories that I have of us being in grandma and grandpa's ceramic studio and just painting our asses off and it's just really cool to see you go off and do such great original music and it's been really fun to be able to explore my own artistic side and if people don't know I'm also an artist at abbymartin.org and it's just really cool to see where that all originated from and how much our family really helped inspire our artistic expression.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've, I'm super grateful for that. Um, I mean, I remember going over to grandma and grandpa's house so many times with mom, you know, when I was very little, uh, painting ceramics and, uh, you know, being encouraged to draw constantly. You know, we always had markers and crayons and stuff like that. Like, I think a lot of other kids, when they're going up, they're given like Legos. Um, They're shown things to try to inspire them creatively. But I think the way mom and dad raised us, it was more like, you know, just be creative and and just draw, um, you know, express yourself creatively. And they just, you know, they didn't necessarily push us in that direction, but they like really fostered that and really, you know, gave us uh, space for that. And I, I really value that. And I think that that's I mean, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty interesting to see you you know, become like a mature artist too. Like, I mean, your paintings are incredible. Um, thank you. I never would have, you know, I knew you drew and things like that, just like I did, but like, it's just amazing to see that sort of culminate into, you know, something so cool.
1: Thank you so much. Um, Robbie, should we wrap it up by getting more into the election since it's coming up in God, how many days, just a couple days now, what your thoughts are on it and Oof. the Hunter Biden emails and whatever else we wanted to kind of round out this yeah. amazing epic anniversary special with. And and also to remind people who chimed in late, this video will only be available to patrons, um, but you can also, of course, access the audio um, if you're not a patron, but... Thank you, everyone, for tuning in live. It's been really fun to see the chat and people here watching us, and we just really appreciate all the support over the last decade, and we promise to keep bringing the heat for as long as we can.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think we just got another um, special message. Uh, in. Oh, my God. Yeah, if you want to check and see who this is from. Let's do it. Okay. Pull it up here.
1: I hope it's Alex Jones again.
0: It might be. It might be. Oh, this is so Alex is telling us he's trying to give people some election advice for our okay. specifically for our listeners, so Great. Um let's let's check out what he has to say. I want to
2: appeal right now to your leftist, Maoist, Stalinist, communist, Whoa. uh cucked triglet, social <laughs> justice warrior, media roots audience. I know that you guys all love Biden. Okay, you love basement Biden. You love sniffing Biden. You love the way he manhandles those children on the center floor when they're swearing in those neocons, and he's just grabbing their little (laughs) prepubescent mosquito bites. I know you love that. I'm telling you right now, I need you to listen to me. This is like when Indy walks uh, in uh, (laughs) uh, Last Crusade. He's taking that leap of faith. I need you guys to take the leap of faith right now and just vote for Donald Trump because he has been sent back this is the, the ritual, the prophecy. It's all going to come true, folks. On election day, you are going to see miracles take place that me and Roger Stone couldn't even predicted four years ago, when we were doing the champagne toast. You will see Don Jr. make high-profile arrests. He will be deputized out in the field. Media roots audience. I know you know some of you probably like living in concrete slabs with uh, you know buckets for toilets. You know, you, you like, you know, you know, you like, uh, you know, Univision, you like TELUSER, you like Russia Today, all that good stuff. I Look, I like him too. Well, but I need you to vote for Donald Trump. Trump is a patriot. He will make America great again. He will keep America great again. And then he will remake America great again, just like all great <laughs> reboots, singles, prequels, shriekles, threequels, intervals. Donald Trump has <laughs> discovered a way to time travel. And he has wow. seen the perp walks at Gitmo, okay? He's seen them. I mean, that's what... Okay, John McCain didn't die of cancer, folks. He died at Gitmo. John McCain died <laughs> at Gitmo. Hillary's on her way down there. We need to give him another term. He's, he is going to release those Kennedy files. He's going to get full disclosure on the UFOs. And you're going to see miracles happen threefold. And I truly believe that. He's a patriot. He has... Our survival at his at the core of his being, he is a good man. He didn't have to do this. He had a really nice life, folks, before he decided to get in the fray. <laughs> he knows how evil they are. He knows how violent and parasitical and blood-shucking these elite are down there, and he will stop them. So we will send them back. It will be Babylon. It will be Canaanite. It will be deities running through the streets. We will have Donald Trump, the God Emperor, for another 100 years. God willing.
0: Wow. God willing. Kind of, kind of God disturbing. willing, inshallah. I mean I, I know Alex Jones was a Trump bootlicker, but I mean, geez, Alex.
1: Jesus it's, Christ, you to Alex. Our tone right it down,
0: down, dude. Yeah, Jesus. Um I mean, I, I guess it was nice that he congratulated us on that ten years, but it was a little insulting to our audience, I thought. <laughs> it just you didn't have It's a bit much. Yeah, it's a little bit much, Alex.
1: L- laid it on a little thick, Alex, yeah. at the end there. Maybe, <laughs> I don't maybe know if our audience is a nicer really.
0: message now that he knows that we didn't care for that. Slamming of our of the <laughs> audience.
1: Um, well, before we wrap it up with the Hunter Biden emails and what you think about all that, um, you know, since I think I've articulated what I think the t- differences is, are between Biden and Trump in terms of domestic policy. Look, let's face it. I think when it comes to foreign policy, it's just different tactics, different timelines and different um ideologies, really, but, but really they're adhering to the notion that the U.S. is a global military empire and the U.S. needs to carry and assert itself as, um, you know, militaristically, aggressively and reshape the rest of the world accordingly. So it's really scary uh, to think and imagine what that's going to be like under a Biden administration, just as it's very scary and unpredictable to think of what that's going to be like under a Trump administration. Um
0: yeah I mean some, I, mm-hmm. I I think I'm most concerned right now uh if Biden gets in office just in terms of the foreign policy trajectory uh I could easily see us overthrowing Assad like Trump you know for some reason didn't do I could easily see Biden's administration bringing us you know increasing the new cold war paradigm with Russia bringing us closer to a hot war with Russia and escalating things in Ukraine. And also, maybe you know, maybe not as aggressive and brazen as the Trump administration, but also South American coups and proxy wars and regime change. Um, I see both of them continuing the same trajectory in Yemen. I don't really see any difference between them there. Um, Trump obviously is going to increase the new Cold War paradigm with China, will bring us closer to a hot war with them. Um, definitely have to be concerned about him overthrowing Maduro in Venezuela. That trajectory is still going. And war with Iran, I think, is a very real possibility under the Trump administration. Um, So I don't know, Abby, how do you feel about that?
1: I couldn't agree more with you. I think the sanctions alone have been totally debilitating worldwide. The problem is that Biden has not addressed them whatsoever and not talked about lifting them. And that's really alarming. And that's, I think, the biggest problem of all is that even though Biden may be less dangerous uh, in some ways as a Trump administration in terms of foreign policy, he is just going along with all of Trump's worst foreign policy, quote unquote, blunders, including uh, the coup in Venezuela and you know the coup in Bolivia. We saw the legitimization of the right wing there. We see Biden still tweeting that he supports Juan Guaido, bizarrely <laughs> enough, this widely hated incubator baby um, that almost was lynched in his own country because people fucking hate him so much. And it's just crazy and offensive and insulting to see Joe Biden actually give him credibility this late in the game. And you see Democrats like Chris Murphy basically say Trump just did it wrong, right? So they would have a more savvy approach in terms of overthrowing Latin American leaders. I do think the rhetoric, the troika of tyranny, the people like Elliot Abrams and John Bolton at the helm are pretty far out there. They're really making clear that they are anti-communist as hell and going to try to reshape Latin America um, to be, uh, you know, potentially resurrecting right-wing death squads like we saw during Iran-Contra. All of these things are not going to stop under Trump, and especially the Cuba, um, you know, the sanctions on Cuba, which at least Obama normalized the Cuba relations thing. Of course, the embargo was still in place But I think with a Biden administration, we're going to see that more traditional NGOization, the USAIDs, the fomenting of these opposition groups through, you know, where it's not as overt, naked as what Trump will do. But I think Latin America, it's a lot harder to parse the differences between the two administrations aside from Cuba. And when you look at Cuba, of course, there's also a sinister approach when it comes to the normalization as they want to inject capitalism in there and and make communism less palatable. And we know that those operations are not ceasing to exist in Cuba. But I think the rest of the world, I think Trump is a loose fucking cannon. I think Iran is definitely the scariest possibility, a war with Iran. We already talked about the Iran nuclear deal, the sanctions that are continuing to crush Iran's economy, the strengthening, Mm -hmm. boldening of the right wing there. And um, the assassination of General Soleimani was a war crime and an overt act of war. And the fact that we're not at war is to Iran's benefit. They chose not to retaliate. How much more are they going to take? How much more is Trump going to do? We don't know. But we know that he has surrounded himself with, um, with uh, war hawks who are absolutely insane, nihilistic people who believe in the Armageddon and don't take stock and the fact that, you know, the climate is collapsing and all the other things, because it's all according to the prophecy. So they don't care about us. They don't care about humanity and they don't care about the future of the planet. So China, it's kind of hard to tell. I agree with you that the rhetoric is ramped up on China, the whole committee on present danger, China, but like I said before in previous podcasts, Robbie, Joe Biden has ads calling Trump a China puppet. Yeah. And you see Kamala Harris talking about China and saying we're going to go after them with human rights abuses. So it's different. you know. Trump yeah. is after them economically. You have the Democrats after them in terms of this neoliberal um, human rights shit that we see as the cover for regime change. Um, in terms of the Middle East, Trump claims that he wanted to assassinate Assad. Mattis held him back, apparently. I don't really know what that's about. We know that Trump's doubled troops all across the Middle East, pivoted troops from one country to the next. As Justin Amash clearly pointed out, there's more troops there now than there was when Trump got into office. So despite his rhetoric, there are many more troops there. The bombing has doubled. Civilian casualties have doubled. Drone strikes have quadrupled. It's pretty disastrous. It's scary. I don't see that stopping. I see it getting worse and escalating. However, again, Biden and the Democratic Party have not talked about this at all. It is a non-issue. In fact, you see Joe Biden hitting Trump from the right on foreign policy at the last debate, actually having the audacity to claim that Trump isn't hard enough on leaders in North Korea and the like. And that is really worrisome because the one good thing Trump has done is some semi-detente with North Korea, even though that's hasn't really gone anywhere. Um, the sanctions need to be lifted immediately, but, but even that was too much for Biden to bear. So it's really disturbing. Both of them are war hawks. Biden certainly has a record to prove that. I do think that perhaps we'll see some policy change on Yemen. Someone asked about Palestine in the chat. Sadly, Biden's not talking about the reversal of the embassy move. The only thing that I see good happening in Palestine in terms of a Biden administration is uh, the reinstallment of the UNRWA aid to refugees, which we know Trump pulling the carpet out of UNRWA and defunding it just so dramatically overnight was life and death for a lot of people. So, and of course the embassy move sparked off the great March of return, which was the premise of our documentary Gaza fights for freedom. However, again, Biden has not talked about rolling these things back. We know he openly supports annexation and we know that he doesn't really have any differentiation in terms of allowing the right wing to be emboldened and allowing the continued dehumanization and, Removal of Palestinian rights. Kamala Harris is just as bad. They both have very high ratings from APAC. Kamala Harris has actually compared the civil rights Selma struggle to Israeli oh activism. So I, I, sad to say, I wish that I had a different outlook on Palestine. But I think that goes back to the necessity to build and mobilize an anti-war, anti-imperialist struggle here that's linked to all these other struggles that we can really pressure our government, going back to how Roe v. Wade was passed under the Nixon administration, these things can happen. It doesn't matter if Trump wins or Biden wins. We can force the hand of government. It's going to be harder under Trump because he's such a fucking crazy ass dude who can enlist and embolden fascistic police forces to persecute protesters. So it, it's going to be difficult, but I think that it shouldn't stop us from organizing. And that's really where the struggle lies ahead. organize, organize, organize and we have to fight for the sake of the people who our government's subject, um, subjugating around the world.
0: Yeah, I mean, you brought up something that I think really strikes me is that at least the Obama presidency, the campaign promise was rhetorically to reverse the flow of the Bush era and to try to like create normalcy in opposition to the Bush era. Obviously, Obama largely didn't do that. But I think one thing that we're really missing here with the Biden campaign is he's promising virtually nothing like that, except for Mm -hmm. we want people to be like less stressed out and not argue.
1: Return to normalcy. Yep. The return This is about the character of our country.
0: It's all about the character. You don't hear anything about the increased drone strikes. You don't hear anything about the What was the um, the Pentagon did something when Trump first got in office where they're not actually going to be uh, releasing the uh, like the statistics of how many civilians. Yeah.
1: Trump allowed them to take the gloves off where they're totally untransparent with all the militarism that's increasing 100 percent.
0: So all that stuff. I mean, it seems like Biden is more or less okay with that by default or assuming that he's just going to let it continue on as it has been going Um, And I think that'd be a safe to assume that. And I also think one other angle that we maybe didn't discuss in earlier podcasts is who Biden would be bringing in, in terms of these dangerous neocons that are sort of on the outs right now. And also the flip side to that, who will Trump bring in now that he's emboldened by a second term? I mean, so on Trump's side, I could actually see him bringing in some of these committee on the present danger people who are sort of. On the fringes now, I could see him bringing Bannon back in. I could see him bringing someone like Frank Gaffney directly in. I could see him bringing in some of these people who are sort of still on the periphery, on the fringes that are neocons, um, that sort of help push his agenda now. I could see him bringing directly in the administration. In Biden's administration, I could actually see Robert Kagan and Victoria Newland getting a position again, and that's sort of disturbing to think about. But I think that's also very likely. I mean, why wouldn't Victoria Newland? pick up her career right where it was left off um, in sort of that quasi diplomatic, you know, sector. And also we have to remember that the $300 million weapons supplemental for offensive weapons was already passed and signed into law by Trump that is now actively in place. So what will the next administration do with that scenario? And I think in that specific scenario, I'm more worried about Biden than I am about Trump. Um, but almost in every other area, I'm more worried about Trump if I'm being completely honest.
1: Yeah, and going back to the whole necessity and the gun to the heads of the left about voting not just for the Democratic nominee, but for the Supreme Court, I mean, look how quickly they rolled over for Amy Coney Barrett. It's just absolutely insulting. It's despicable. There's now a 6-3 ultra-conservative majority in the Supreme Court, and they, they literally exist to... Um, overthrow any progressive change. So again, like we can't look at this institution as well as the political institution, Congress, the Senate, the executive, and the Supreme Court as the end-all be-all of anything. This body is not going to tell us what our rights are. We fight for what our rights are, and we force the hand of government. Um, So please don't get too demoralized, but I think that what it should show you is that the Democrats rolled over and that's what they do they're not helpless kittens bad at battle they do this on purpose because they don't care about us and they won't fight for us and there's plenty that the democratic leadership could have done to at least stall the process to at least make it look hella bad to have them do this and jam her through after the election and they didn't do fucking any of it and um it's disgusting And it's just crazy that this nightmare scenario that they've been warning us about for the last 20 years played out and played out so quickly. And, you know, the whole Obama letting them steamroll him on the Merrick Garland thing. And it's just it's just crazy that this all happened so quickly and that Trump has been able to ram three justices through and an unlimited amount of federal judges. And he will continue to do so. And. You know, this is the plan. This is the plan from the right wing, and the Democrats exist to just let the right wing steamroll them. So that's why, when I urge organizing, it really is necessary because we cannot continue to have faith in this party. We can't have faith in moving the party left. They are an anti left party. They hate AOC and Elon Omar. You know, I mean, look at what Biden's campaigning on. He's campaigning on anti socialism, a repudiation of Bernie. Um, So, we have to look at this, whatever happens next, we have to look at it with no illusions and with wide open eyes of what we're really dealing with here. There's no good outcome. There's no good outcome. But we have each other. We have movements on the ground. I think that for the first time in my lifetime, people are looking at Biden and, and saying he's horrible, you know, and realizing the fight continues on day one, no matter what happens. Um, Robbie, did you want to sum this up by talking about the October surprise, the October surprise, the pizza gating going back? I feel like Trump is getting more desperate because he probably is looking at these polls, even though I do think there's a good chance he'll win. And he's kind of going back to his 2016 playbook, corrupt Biden, the Hunter Biden stuff, pizza gating shit. Um, Your thoughts on on the Hunter Biden emails and what they will do or what they mean for the election?
0: Well, I mean, I think first we need to look at it from the perspective of will this actually move the needle in terms of voting? And I think that unlike Pizzagate and the DNC email leaks and the Podesta email leaks, I think it's pretty safe to say that this is barely going to move the needle. Um, I don't see very many fence sitters at all in this election in general. I don't really believe in the independent voter uh, as a general concept. So to think that this could actually shift things, I think, is kind of a fantasy. Um, And also the fact that a lot of places are refusing to run with it, I think, is also eliminating some of the power in that. Now, that's the part that I have some fundamental disagreements with, like the idea that Twitter just outright blocked the New York Post's account uh, because they ran with that story, even though I think the New York Post is like a neocon scumbag outlet really sketchy outlet uh it still sort of sets this unusual precedent where and you know we've talked about this forever abby that it seems inconceivable that the powers that be would allow something on the level of the wikileaks dumps to happen again like if that happened in this election cycle it wouldn't surprise me at all if twitter and all the networks blocked every single iota of them like in any way they could um, but the difference I think with this compared to WikiLeaks is first of all, it's just about the president's son for the most part. We don't have access to the data like all these right wing surrogates seem to. Like it's actually really strange who has access to this all this data, apparently right now. People at Epic Times have it. Uh, Jack Posobiec has it. People at OAN have it. The Chinese billionaire who's funding Steve Bannon has the whole cash. And we're relying on them to leak us the things that are the most important. Now, that presents a huge problem, obviously, because if someone like Rudy Giuliani, I, I forgot to mention him, is taking the lead on these leaks and we don't have access to the whole scope of the data, we, we have to trust that Rudy Giuliani is not cherry picking or isn't hiding something or isn't taking something completely out of context or why are all these things blurred out and redacted on these text messages? Are they, Mm -hmm. are the Republicans who are deploying this trying not to get sued? I don't trust it. So yeah, I mean, let's just be honest. The Biden family probably is super, super corrupt just because of the length of time he's spent in office. I mean, Almost all politicians like him on the back end of their political office try to enrich their family. It's very typical run-of-the-mill D.C. corruption. But what's interesting here is that's not the framing. The framing isn't Biden is trying to enrich his family through his political office. It's that Biden is compromised by China. This has sort of a nationalistic sort of xenophobia framing where it's like, no, Biden is actually going to be a puppet of Beijing. And that almost seems really lazy to me because like the Republicans, are they just going to try to reverse Russia gate Biden or like China gate Biden? Is that really the play here? Um, Because if it is, it just seems really uncreative to me. And, you know, they spiked all these leaks initially saying that there's pictures of Hunter with underage women and that there's videos of him. Like somebody even said he's raping a Chinese slave on on one of the videos, somebody from Newsmax. (laughs) And it's like, so you're leading with that context. But then the stuff that starts coming out is just like, I mean, let's be honest, Hunter Biden with a pretty nice big dick, like on like getting a foot job and like showing off his dick, like on like 20 different pictures. I mean, so that's sort of what they led with this idea that there's child porn on his laptop where we're going to show you just some like pictures of Hunter basically just being like a stud and like tearing it up and seemingly just getting a lot of pussy, like constantly With different women. I mean, there's like tons of different women in these pictures. Apparently the guy also tried to open up his own Pornhub account, which is pretty amusing. So I guess historically speaking, this is a new era we're in because this will be the first time ever that we know what a president's children's genitals look like before they get into office. (laughs) If Biden actually gets into office. So if that's if that's what this amounted to, it's just weird to me that they led with the sex like leak stuff because in reality, the way it seems to me so far is it's kind of just like Steve Bannon's the fappening. It's like, it reminds me (laughs) of when all the celebrities got all their cloud nude pictures stolen, you know, it sort of takes on a similar vibe to that. So I guess, you know, and then I should also mention probably the silliest dick pic picture is Hunter Biden has a picture of his penis stacked with M&Ms. I don't know if that's a thing people do or is that a a chat M&M penis challenge Hunter Biden has a picture of his stick with stacked with m and So you can find it on G News, which is really funny because a lot of people are or a lot of the right wingers are running with this are saying a Chinese TV channel is blasting out all these Hunter leaks. This Chinese TV channel is like renegade. And it's like, dude, this is not a Chinese TV channel. It's literally a channel started by Steve Bannon and this fugitive <laughs> rapist Chinese billionaire in the U.S., there's nothing Chinese about it unless you think it's Chinese because a Chinese billionaire co-founded it with Steve Bannon. So it's just funny the all the levels of manipulation they're trying to do. But, you know, I, I don't know, Abby, like, did you see anything? I mean, I sent you a bunch of stuff that is coming out from these leaks. Did you see anything that jumped out to you or that was like particularly salacious where you're like, oh, my God, this is going to ruin Hunter or this is going to ruin Biden? Did you see anything like that?
1: I, someone in the chat just said Biden has a big fall-on dong.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he does. Maybe uh, indeed, that's where Hunter got it.
1: Indeed. I, I mean, when, when <laughs> I, I admit that I was very underwhelmed looking at this. Look, we know that Biden is horribly corrupt. We know that Hunter Biden making $50,000 a month at Burisma is absolutely absurd. Of course, there was some quid pro quo between the Ukrainian government and Joe Biden. It's like, of course, is that a surprise to anyone? So I guess I was waiting for the the something there. You know, I was waiting for like, what is the big thing out yeah. of these leaks? And of course, if there was something there, they don't really have much time before the election to put it out there. And all I have seen is Hunter Biden's enormous cock getting jerked <laughs> off by a foot, watching cartoons and smoking crack. I was just like, all right, like, it doesn't look like that bad of a lifestyle for him. I mean, fuck. I mean, Don Jr. is probably real jealous of the size of his dick and also his his life. You know, I'm sure it seems like he's on an inordinate amount of cocaine recently. I don't know if he really talks like that normally. I don't know if you've seen Don Jr. just going off the fucking rails talking about these leaks, seeming like he has snorted um, a good amount of cocaine before them, but... Seems like he's just jealous, they're all projecting the fact that um, Donald Trump is incestuous with his daughter. Look at the beginning of Fahrenheit 11.9, very, very disturbing footage of Trump talking about his infant child, her tits, um, sexualizing his daughter, very, very weird, right? And then of course the Jeffrey Epstein connection with him. So it's a lot of projection and deflection on Joe Biden, Hunter Biden's son, um, with underage people. But again, like you said, a lot of this shit is redacted. There's no context to the text messages. There's no context to these emails. And it's really hard to know the full story. So all we can really take from it, which was what I've taken from it so far, is it's a right-wing operation to try to make something there that isn't there. And yeah, I don't think it's going to have any effect whatsoever on the election. And it's just kind of turned a weird Pizzagate gate. Corner where people are just reading the tea leaves and taking from it what they want to and interpreting it in a really bizarre fashion, where it's obvious that there's no crime being committed in terms of like sex crimes or whatever. Um, but they're just going to keep thinking that, Robbie, because this is all some sort of crazy ass fake news shit that's circulated, like the Gateway Pundit and whatnot. And you just see these stories just originate out of, out of thin air and take on a life of their own. I think the most disturbing aspect of it that essentially legitimizes Trump and his campaign is the NY post being censored outright on Twitter and Facebook. Um, There was actually, you know, the Atlantic Council in part is funded by Burisma. So you have literally Democratic operatives talking about how they're going to suppress the algorithm for the story. What does this do? There was no smoking gun here, yet they took absurd, outrageous measures to censor the story. And it just makes that whole conservative mantra of martyrdom and suppression of conservative views parroted by Trump legitimate and yeah, validated. Yeah. And it was so disruptive. And what we know is that the right wing is ultimately not a threat to the establishment. All of these purges and all of the social media censorship affects the left and will crush the left because the left is really what challenges capitalism. The left is really what challenges the US government. And so all of this is just smoke and mirrors, dangerous corporate censorship that does play right into Trump's hands. And just like Alex Jones, it will, it is what gets the news coverage. The left purges, the Antifa purges, the anti-war purges do not get covered. And that is what is so dangerous here. Um, But yeah, a big nothing burger for me, Rob.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think for me as well, uh, for the most part, I mean, it does seem like a lot of dirty, you know, private dirty laundry is coming out, which I'm sure is quite embarrassing probably for people in the family. But besides embarrassing the family on that level, I don't see anything here. That's a really big deal. The right wing has shifted to, you know, at first there was all these like PizzaGate gate breadcrumbs thrown into it. Um, that didn't materialize in anything. And in fact, one of the claims I saw floating around online is that one of the screenshots of Hunter, uh, FaceTiming with a woman, uh, with an erection in his pants. There's a picture of that. Um, it, people were saying it was his niece. It's actually not. Um, it was. It's Beau Biden's ex-wife. It's Beau Biden's widow. Now that is sort of interesting. That they, you know, there's a bizarre family dynamic there where Hunter Biden essentially <laughs> is fucking his his dead brother's wife.
1: Um, so, October surprise, someone just said. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, so if you want to like try to paint that as incestuous or that like that means that he's also being sexual with children. Sure. I guess the only thing in the, the actual text messages is, is there is a conversation where Hunter is lamenting about basically being a- accused of being sexually inappropriate with a 14 year old, He's denying it in the text messages. They're not corroborated by other people involved in that. So I, I in my mind, I'm like, if the right wing really wanted a fully Pizzagate Hunter or the Biden family, they would have like blasted that. They would have like made a much bigger deal about those text messages, tried to find out who this 14 year old was, all that stuff. They didn't do that. Instead, it seems like Tucker Carlson is now leading this and it's all about this guy, Tony Boblowski, who was, I guess, asked to help Um, arrange a business deal between some people in Hunter Biden's or Hunter Biden and some Chinese company. And so the whole thing is now taking on this framing of this is a really, you know, it it should be, this is a a corrupt family that's profiting off of the political office. They're enriching their family sort of in, in an unethical way. That should be the framing, but it is really just all now China gating Biden. This means that China will be controlling Biden if he wins. And it's actually kind of interesting, you watch Tucker's segment, even Tucker is sort of talking about it as if Biden's going to win. And that's Mm. what's interesting here about the lateness of this leak. Did they already see the writing on the wall and are the people who are leaking these things counting on a Biden win and just want to make his presidency so difficult that they could just basically launch a Benghazi-style investigation on him like every month based on these leaks? That's possible. Even if he doesn't win, that's probably going to happen. I mean, that, that will probably happen, so... Um, I don't know. Yeah.
1: And wasn't there something about the, some guy was just an AI rendering of like a fake person that gave the leaks or something?
0: No, that's a, that's a sort of a weirder story. So that one was somebody commissioned a dossier similar to the Steele dossier on Biden's connections with, with, uh, China. Now the author of the dossier is an AI generated like deep fake, fake person picture. And the actual outlet that commissioned it is Apple Daily News, a Hong Kong news outlet that like basically Joshua Wong and all these people who like meet with neocons here like are in love with. It's like a basically probably the CIA's favorite media outlet in Hong Kong. Um, So that's very odd that Trump's administration or these little surrogates that work with him have linked up with all these bizarre... Anti China groups, including Apple Daily News, including the Epic Times, including the Falun Gong. Um, so, I'm, you know, I think with a Biden presidency, what we could maybe see in that regard is we'll see more of the mainstream channels shift over to anti China stuff. We'll see more of the mainstream think tanks do it instead of it being relegated more to these like weird fringe media outlets. Um, so, in a way, I mean, a Biden presidency trying to push a new cold war with China could actually be more dangerous than a Trump presidency because there's not a unanimity like with, with all the people, you know, behind Trump with Biden. I could actually, and I'm sort of changing my thinking on this. It could actually flare up possibly even worse, depending on how Mm -hmm. determined they are to push that, you know, and how much Biden wants to prove he's a hawk on China. Like let's say, That this all these leaks will basically put him into a corner, in the same way Trump was, where it was like he needs to prove, you know, these hawkish against Russia. So he'll, so he signed into law the three hundred million dollars to Ukraine weapons because, you know, I'm tougher on Russia than anybody else. I could see Biden getting in that same position where he's tougher on China than anybody else, and that turning very badly, very quickly. So Mm -hmm. that's, I mean, in terms of the meat here, that's really all I think there is. I don't think it's going to shift the election in any way whatsoever. And also, I don't think the people who leak this stuff think that either, because why would they do it so late? And why would they just drip out little pieces of it and not the whole thing? I mean, imagine if we had the entirety of the Internet, you know, sifting through this trove. I feel like there'd actually be way more things coming out about it. But instead, they've chosen to do it this way. It just seems sketchy and weird. And
1: Yeah, it's origin. weird that they didn't just release the leaks yeah. Um, for everyone to parse through. And so it's being doled out by really sketchy figures like Rudy Giuliani and
0: the sketchiest person alive. I mean, super are you, are you bizarre.
1: Kidding? Yeah, yeah. It's super and, bizarre.
0: And Giuliani is trying to go out there making it seem like Hunter Biden's a pervert. Um, mm-hmm. And he's actually like, you know, shaming him for marrying uh, his uh, his dead brother's wife. But Rudy Giuliani, like he married his own cousin. I mean, none of these people. It's it's just like it's almost like they're always talking about themselves. It it just kind of mm-hmm. reminds me of like when Roger Stone and Bannon would call people cucks when it turns out like Roger Stone and Paul Manafort are literal cuckolds. That's like that's their main fetish. Or Jerry Falwell Jr., he's like he's an actual cuckold. Like it's all it all came out like two uh, two months ago. I mean, so it just seems like a it's total projection. Um
1: 100%. 100%. Well, let's wrap it up, Robbie. I can't part here without reading an amazing uh, testimonial from John Gold, one of our most loyal listeners, our good friend. John, John, thank you so much for being a part of Media Roots Radio this whole time. He says, I've been a fan of Media Roots Radio since its inception. The chemistry between the two of you has always been the best part of the show. The information presented is obviously tied. I know the two of you have always done your best, and that's all anyone could ever ask for. In these troubled times, your show is an absolute necessity. Thank you for all the time and effort you put into this endeavor for everyone else. Sorry, I fucked that up. John, thank you so much. Um, And Robbie, thank you so much for doing this project with me. Again, to be slightly sappy here, I would not be who I am without you. You've shaped the best parts of me. And um, I love you so much, Rob. And I can't wait to do another decade of Media Roots Radio with you, man.
0: Uh, Abby, I I feel the same way about you. I don't know where I would be, or if I would even be stepping into this world, if it was not for your bravery and your conviction, and just how much of a badass you've been. And you're a huge inspiration to me. So thank you, and I'm I'm just very thankful that we, you know, that people even listen to us at all. Yeah, you know? me too. Like,
1: I know there's a lot of options.
0: It's uh, so it's it's awesome to do this with you. It's something I look forward to every week, and. Yeah, I hope we do it until we're senior citizens, until, <laughs> until we're like all the, uh, you know, the libs that we that we got inspired by the gray haired people with glasses, you know, who, <laughs> who kind of helped bring us up. Um, but I think we have I I think I think Alex maybe ch- uh, like chilled out a little bit since the last one. He, he, he says this. I, hope so, I
1: yeah. hope so, man. I hope so. All right. This final words from Alex Jones.
0: Yeah. Um, so. Alex, I hope you're right. I hope you didn't insult our audience again because that that wouldn't be very nice of you, but um, let's see what he has to say. Oh, that's an interesting picture he chose for that one.
2: Abby, Robbie, again, we're coming up on the Decade of Media Roots. I'm so proud of you. Uh, I love you. Uh, I'm just sending you the Eucharist of Christ. I'm sending you so many good vibrations from Austin, uh, barbecue, uh, you know, uh, whiskey, guns, cannon powder, (laughs) uh, you know, tattered old glory hanging in the mist. If you want to survive another 10 years, you got to try the survival shield with the nascent blue iodine, uh, anti-New World Order foaming like like, agent stuff that I have ad. on my website. Yeah, right. You got to your for roots Bone broth product out to your Dick people. They're going to love it because once America turns into Venezuela and we're waiting in soup lines with shopping carts full of $1,000 bills to buy a <laughs> loaf of bread, you're going to need more income. Anyways, keep rolling. Keep fighting the deep state and the New World Order, and we will prevail. I love you. God bless. Over and out, from InfoWars.
0: No, that was that's pretty nice. That was a nice one. A Thank about, you, Alex, about Venezuela in there. But other, it's pretty nice. Thank you, Alex.
1: Thank you, Alex. You toned that down. Got a little ad in there for your yeah, brain I didn't force, but that. Um,
0: we don't endorse uh, nascent survival shield. We do. We do endorse <laughs> bone broth, though. We might. I, we might put out a bone broth meat roots product at some point. So. <laughs>
1: All right. Love you guys. Thank you so much, everyone, for participating today. We had a great time. I had a great time. Ravi, it was really fun. I can't wait for the next one. And holy shit, this election is going to be interesting. We will talk to you after. Uh, Good luck, everyone. Stay safe out there.
0: Thank you, everybody, for listening. And sorry we didn't get to all your questions today. We we will promise you we will have Super Chat going in the future, and it'll be easier for us to field Mm -hmm. all your questions. and thank you so much. And please consider, if you're not already, uh, becoming a Patreon subscriber of ours at patreon.com slash Radio. Thanks again, everybody. And you,
1: you'll you get exclusive access to these videos and more. Thank you so much, everyone. You rock. We love you. Here's to another 10 years. Peace. Peace.